I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. Yeah. Not a game, not a game. Not a game. Slap that like she scored 30. We talking about sports. I mean, what are we even talking about, man? We talking about sports here. All right. Welcome back to We Talking About Sports huh? podcast episode number 10, man. 10. Double yes. digits. Double digits. What do y'all think? Y'all thought we were going to get here? Yeah. I had my doubts at the beginning, not going to lie, since we're all remote, but we're, we've all seen to make it out. Modern day technology, right? Yeah, you man. Know. What about We're you, man? What did you think? You, 10, you thought 10 was going to be possible? Ten. The first thing that came to my mind with 10 was Billy Bob in uh, Varsity Blues. She's a 10. Teen. <laughs> Is that what he's talking about, his teacher, bro? Yeah, oh, when God, they went to the strip club and they saw her there. Uh, but yeah, bro, we're in the double digits. What up? What up? We're back. Good, man. We're here now. You know what? Let's talk about uh since you brought up varsity blues, what's number one what's the top three high school football movies? Damn, that's a good question. High school football, I mean number one for me personally is probably gonna it's cliche, but it's probably Friday Night Lights, Remember the Titans and Varsity Blues for me. I mean you just said high school football, right? I mean we're we got the same it, list right there in that order okay. too. Yeah. Pretty sure that's like that would be the consensus in the most mainstream. Like, uh, the replacements is probably my all-time favorite football well, that, movie. But, but that's not football. high school football. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because yeah. I was gonna say if it's just football, I'd probably go any given Sunday. Number oh, one. Yeah. Number one. Number one with Willie Beeman. All right, yeah. then, then let's go. Willie just Beeman. top three football movies of all time. I'm steaming. What's that? Let's say top three football movies of all time then. Top three football movies of all I'll time. I'll go The Replacements, Friday Night Lights, and Varsity Blues. I'll probably go Any Given Sunday, Friday Night Lights, and I'll probably keep uh, Coach Boone up there and uh, T.C. Williams, Titans. Yeah, I just got to go. There's so. something between me and Roland as far as these lists go. <laughs> I swear we uh, talk about it beforehand because we always end up nah, with the same. We're freestyling on here. This isn't on the script. Yeah, so I know. But man, that's, it's just yeah. funny. Y'all like the serious ones. I, I'm, I almost threw the Waterboy in there just because I grew hey. up watching that. Hey, it's good. Waterboy and The Replacements, though, those are both yeah. classic movies. For I sure. mean, you can't go wrong with either one of those. My favorite uh, part in The Replacements is just, like, how they recruit all the players. You know what I mean? How they recruit them, and then obviously the iconic scene after the bar fight when they're uh, dancing to I'm a Survivor, I Will Survive, yeah. and, the, and the jail cell. The kicker, I mean, that's bro. classic the shit, bro. And yeah, then you got that seriousness, the, the whole the, the quicksand talk and all that. It's yeah. overall a good movie, man. The gambling kicker. It has, it has the like love that. factor. He, you know, he's getting that it's love. It's the only too, good the movie that... It's the only good movie that... Uh, I, read, I read Blitz. Huh? I read Blitz at the end of the the game that they lost to Shane Falco. I think he That's what, ended Shane up Falco, cutting it off. What's the real actor's Keanu name? Reeves. Like, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, man. Reeves. John Wick. That and Hardball, his only good movies. G-Baby. Yeah. He was in The Matrix, man. Damn. <laughs> you know what? He's um, a chosen one. I got to ask y'all. You know, there's a lot with these sports movies. You got, like, reoccurring characters. Like, Adam Sandler has his sports movies. Will Ferrell does a few who does it the best? Like, who, for as far as sports movies goes, who does it the best as, as far as that goes? Man, well, I mean, I just, that's kind of a hard question for me, but my 
favorite coach or like my favorite um, coach of all time in terms of the sports movies would probably have to be man, dude. It's just remember I, I love uh, Coach Carter is a really good coach, but I was probably gonna go with um, Coach Boone, man. Coach Honestly, Boone. the the way that Denzel Washington played. Uh, that character, I mean, the the little speech when he's trying to get Sunshine hyped up to make that pitch. He's like, Coach, I can't make that pitch. Yeah. He's like, Sunshine. He's like, I lost my, my mother and my father <laughs> in the same month. I was oh, the youngest, youngest of nine people, of nine <laughs> children. I was the youngest, and they all looked up to me. Now, you go out there and you make that pitch. And then he goes out there, you really have nine nine brothers and sisters? He's like, nah, I only had five. He's like, yeah, <laughs> nine sounds better. <clears throat> That's probably my, my putting my money is it's with Coach Boone right there. Coach Boone, Denzel. Coach Carter, man, those are good coaches. The best coach was probably Pacino, though. He had that inches speech. Oh, yeah, the inches. Game inches. Yeah. Game of inches, yeah. What else y'all been up to this week? What y'all got going on? It's It's been a chill week. It's kind of been like uh, for me deciding on do I go on vacation here or not. Uh, I got a, a opportunity on July 6th or the 10th to go out. Uh, just don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger and, and book the place and do it or I'm just going to go on a flight. Where's the vacation spot? It's it's the, it's the same. It's in the we go to the Frio River every summer. Nice. And uh, thinking about doing that too. Yeah, this time I'm just thinking about going solo. But my, I have family that's going to be out there. But I'm thinking about getting a little cabin spot for myself just to chill. But we'll see what happens. I was looking for a big one, like for a group of people, and I guess I'm too late on that, or just places aren't up. But I only found one place off the Frio that would hold like ten plus people. You so you, you, you kind of have to hit that early. Yeah, yeah. especially this time of the year, for sure. Yeah, yeah I just actually, I just got back from the valley. I was down there since like Thursday night, just, uh, spending some time down there for Father's Day, and it was my my little brother's birthday. Shout out to my brother, uh, Gabriel Zamora, Gabe. turns twenty six today. Actually, uh, June twenty second. So, uh, shout out to Gabriel. Uh, spent some time with him. Uh, always good to spend time with the family. Had a nice little lunch yesterday. I got to see my uncle uh, and my aunt for the first time since the whole coronavirus thing happened too. So I was happy to see them. Uh, and other than that, just been chilling. I was off today also. Hit hit up the pool. Uh, went up to lunch for my brother's birthday. And yeah, just chilling, man. Just uh, looking forward to another week of, of more sports. Uh, we were all, Ben will probably talk about this a little bit more, but uh, we were all uh, watching that RBC Heritage Open uh, yesterday. It was almost like the Masters uh, on hey, Sunday. Speak for on us that. I believe we there were, was a Valley guy there, right? Yeah, we were all rooting for Abraham Ansed. Uh He was into the, the the final round. He was the final pairing actually because he was he had the lead going into Sunday, and he was right down there to the to the very end. He had a chance to tie it with a super long putt at the end. Uh, with Webb Simpson and force a playoff, but he ended up missing it. But he secured second place and a nice little payday. I think he made took home like seven hundred and fifty thousand for for getting second place. So uh, yeah, not man. too bad of a weekend for him. But yeah, <laughs> shout out to him. I mean, representing for the Valley. I think he he played his golf at Sherryland and he was looking for his his first uh, PGA Tour uh, victory. It's sure to come though. I mean, he's right there on the cusp. So he's been yeah, keep on looking out for him. <clears throat> he's been close. He looked like Happy Gilmore on the putting green, man. I mean, that's pretty much the only reason he didn't win. The dude yeah. couldn't make any putts, bro. And Reb Simpson was ones. on fire. Yeah. Three inches. I know one. He had a pretty far one and it stopped like inches in front of the in front of the hole. So yeah, I was watching that. We it was we did Father's Day at my uh, father-in-law's house in San Antonio, watching a little bit of golf there. Heavy into soccer, bro. <clears throat> hey, how's Soccer's the banda? 
soccer. Oh, the banda, yeah, the party Saturday was good. They had a taquiza. They had trompo. They had bistec. They had carnitas. Um, they had the banda there. It was actually the, the lead singer for the banda had graduated high school the night before on Friday. <laughs> so, nice. yeah, they were a banda from Austin and they got them to come down. They were there from 6.30 to 9.30, so they were there for three hours. We ended up leaving the party like at 2 a.m. We had a good time. That's cool. Yeah, I had a good Father's Day, too, uh, with my pops. Uh, his thing is uh, goat, cabrito, and, uh, you know, him, he he went out and ordered it. Usually he makes it himself, but this time he was like, you know what, let me just go ahead and order it. And uh, got a little curbside cabrito, and that was pretty dope of him. Was it as good as when you guys would make it? Because I know you guys throw down on the grill. It, what you not, guys got? It's not as good, but it'll do. You know, it'll do. And for was it, yeah. it was done on the Traeger? It wasn't done on the Traeger, just nah. You know, we don't really do carrito on the Traeger. Uh, we, I'm, just, I'm just giving you shit because you got nah, a Traeger. Nah, oh. but you know, the Traeger's reserved for the six-hour ribs and stuff like that. You know, those kind of things. Are you going to be putting that in the grill anytime soon? Are you going to get the Traeger up and running? I haven't seen it's, any Instagram posts. It's there, lately. you know. Uh, it's summer, bro. Get outside. Well, we'll see about it. I mean, my uncle, my uncle sent a pic of a Traeger that they got him for Father's Day. My uncle lives up here in Buda, about yeah. forty-five minutes away, and he was already talking about putting a pizza oven attachment on the side and shit, bro. Yeah, man, That's you can me. do That's that. Fire. It's the thing about the fire. Traeger is versatile, man. You can even make desserts in there. Oh wow! Yeah, it's up to you on what you want to do. It's there's no limits with that thing. A do it all grill. It's a do it all grill. Um, it's still not as good as you know the mesquite uh, a grill that you could do with mesquite and charcoal on, but like it, it's just very versatile on what you can do. Um, so that's good. Hey, what about y'all? Did y'all try any new drinks this week? Any uh, uh, caretas or any uh, oh, ranch waters? No, I didn't. I just stuck to beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, mean, I didn't have any ranch water. Uh, you know what I had was the peach uh, Ciroc this week, and it was all right. Um, that tastes pretty good. Yeah, yeah it, it was just uh, it was flavor. a gift given to me. Um, what's funny? This is a funny story. Uh, it was given to me for Christmas, and uh, I didn't uh, go to Christmas with my family because, man, I was sick. I thought I had that. You know, I might have had that Rona during Christmas. Who knows? And uh, so then I went to my uncle's uh house the other day where they have the uh christmas event and and there's a gift wrapped there and it has my name on it and i'm like what what is this and oh sure they enough, still have the tree out too or what huh no they don't have the tree yeah. out they just they had it on the shelf and i was like what's oh. this with my name and i go hey i go to my cousin you got me this for christmas and sure enough she was like yeah i, I guess uh you know we just never you know they never got it to you afterwards and so it was a it was a bottle of that and i was like man that's dope the honesty of them to not drink it since Christmas, bro. When you said you got it for Christmas, I thought you were letting it age. <laughs> nah, dude, those, they're they're good people. There, they wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> hey, all right, all right, let's get into the comments, man. Um, this week we dropped that top ten running back list, and uh, we dropped it on yeah. two spots: Facebook and Twitter. Man, we got activity. some love on Facebook with that list. There was a lot of different people. I know I had some of my people. You had some of yours. Roland had some of his. Everybody kind of was, you know, the first the first thing they want to do is critique the list. And then you kind of like, hey, yeah, give me your list, like, then. Hey, Let me see where you're at. Yeah. yeah. So, That's what we're all here for. We yeah. want to share opinions. So, I just want to see everybody else's list. Whose list stood out to you all the most? Well, Man, let me see. 
Whoever had uh, Nick Chubb at number one, that was probably the list that stood oh, out to that's me. That's a Georgia fan. That was uh, a Noe. Was that, was that yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I like the boldness in putting Nick Chubb up that high. I personally, just based on what he's done and where I project him to end, based on cr- having Kareem Hunt there, wouldn't put him that high. But who's to say that Nick, uh, Nick Chubb doesn't solidify himself as the number one guy in Cleveland and, and rush for 1,600 yards? He has that kind of talent, I think. So it was interesting to see him. And I think that he took a little page out of uh, Ben's book and, and just betting on the future with some of these guys. And I think he Miles put Sanders, Nick Chubb up there. Miles Sanders in there, too. Yeah, exactly, at, at number one. And I do like Miles Sanders. That I, was one I, guy I, I wanted told to, him you had him outside your top ten. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention that because I didn't mention last podcast that I had Miles Sanders like at – right around 11 or 12. I think he's a guy who could take a leap, but no, he put him in his top 10. So I'd like to see that um, guys taking that, just taking that leap, I guess, and putting them in their top 10 already, expecting them to make that leap. So yeah, that's pretty cool. What stood out to you, Ben, this week? What stood out to me was just a couple of trends of one. I don't think we had one list with Leonard Fournette on it. Yeah, that's no, a good one. I don't, I don't think I saw Leonard Fournette in any. I saw Todd Gurley in one. Uh, I, th- I believe that was Steven. Steven had Todd Gurley, you know, towards the end of his list. Change of yep. scenery for Todd Gurley, but let's see how his knees hold up. For sure, Todd Gurley could be top 10, and he will be top 10. Talent-wise, he all the games. A, no, but if yeah. he plays all the games, there's no question he's going to be in the top 10 list. It's just at this point, I don't think that we expect him to play all 16. Just because he doesn't do it. And, I mean, they cut him with how many years left on his contract for the Rams? Yeah, and I think that's a telling sign. I mean, they're the guys who were there every day with him day in and day out. They see Todd Gurley. They paid him in the beginning, or they they made that contract for him. And more importantly, I mean, their training staff is the one that sees him all the time. So if they cut him— they're probably not that confident in his physical ability going forward. But all things aside, and just looking at Todd Gurley, the talent that he has just naturally, he's a top three, top five type running back when all cylinders are going and he's healthy. He's that kind of guy. I mean, his best year with the Rams, he was catching the ball out of the backfield. He was a threat. And I mean, he was a touchdown machine. But then you go and look at him and where he's at now in Atlanta. I mean, shoot, he has a bunch of weapons around him. It's going to be impossible to put eight in the box with the weapons over the top that they have. I mean, it could be freaking open season for him uh, with no eight eight guys in the box yeah. in terms of running in between the tackles and whatnot. But based on what we've seen and his injuries and all of that stuff and the Rams releasing him, I just wasn't that confident putting him that high. But I definitely see the road for him getting there, um, definitely. And then the other thing that I wanted to comment on before, as far as a trend, I saw a bunch of guys, or not a bunch, but uh, I saw Kamara a little bit higher on lists. I saw Kamara um, a little bit higher than Zeke on some lists. Uh, I saw a a favor towards, I guess, receivers, uh, not receivers, but running backs who have that receiving ability also. Um, that do it all kind of a back. Um, I I saw a lot of favor towards that too. There was somebody who had uh, Henry at the top of the list, and there was a few who was on Ben's train with uh, the Kenyon Drake. uh, Really? I didn't see that, but that's that's good to know too. I mean, uh, shoot, Kenyon Drake has a chance to make it to the top 10 as well. I I hope nobody listens to me, all right, because if you play fantasy football with me, and we are going to have a we talking about sports fantasy football league. 
And we're only inviting everybody who shitted on Drake. That way I get him for sure. <laughs> that, and I mean, I, I just have to throw it out there, guys. Like, if anybody that's, like, in my real big money leagues is listening to this, I, I'm not going to give out very reliable fantasy advice. Don't, don't listen to me. <laughs> <You> <laughs> nah, know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All, you know all things aside, I will give out my best opinion. Just, just You know who I saw on the list uh, who I didn't see in anybody else's list was Le'Veon Bell. Oh, that, there you go. That's another. That's a good, one. That's a good point. How, oh, so no, we were doing this. Bell. We were doing this list last year. Would you guys all have Le'Veon Bell in your top five, maybe no, last year? Simply for the fact that he was going to be with the Jets. Oh. I would have had him in my top ten. I don't know about top five. Yeah, I would have had him in my top ten for sure, just based off of what he did with the Steelers and everything. Because I mean. He had some really, really productive years for them, all things aside. And even with the, the suspensions and whatnot, he, he was a beast. But the falloff, I mean, he didn't rush over 70 yards once this year. I, I think he that, that was his, his threshold. So Now, if he yeah, was with the Steelers still last year, I would have been like for sure top five. Another uh, thing it, that I was talking to somebody about when they were like saying about their running backs having, I mean, he rushed over 1,000 yards. And I know that a lot of players – don't rush over a thousand yards, but doing the math, a thousand yards is about a little bit under seventy yards a game, bro. Over yes. sixty so, I mean, games. It's 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 not even top ten. You want guys that are either getting you the hundred yards a game, whether it's combined or just rushing, but you want at least I would say eighty-five to ninety yards from a guy. But nowadays, the one thousand yards, like after. After Chris Johnson went for two thousand, I stopped paying attention to a thousand yard rushers, bro. Like, yeah, it's sixty three yards a, a game to that do a thousand. Standard. That should be standard if you're a starter. You better get a thousand because sixty three yards ain't shit. Yeah, no, I'm here. Any other uh, last minute uh, talking points on that list? No, just thanks, guys, for all the feedback and all the interaction. Man, it's fun. Uh, going and commenting and, and seeing everybody's different opinions and their thought process. I uh, just continue to encourage you guys doing that because it, it's a lot of fun for everybody. All right. All right. Well, we ought to talk a little bit about some of the soccer races that are going on right now. As you know, Let's some of these uh, leagues are back. Uh, the Premier League, man, that's a, a wrapped up for sure. Uh, I mean, it's not a for sure because anything can happen, but uh, you might as well crown Liverpool champs already. We oh, have that. Uh, over. We had that. When we're talking about Premier League, we had that little showdown on Friday. Uh, the real Spurs from Tottenham. Uh, they ended up. They played Man U, and one it, one. Was a, it, it was a it was a good game. game. That's a good game. Uh, the referee got paid a decent amount of money oh, by come Man. On, man. Come the on, second, man. the second penalty, maybe the first one. Dyer got shook by by he, No doubt he got shook, man. But and like. I get it that all the soccer players do it, but geez, these guys go to the floor so damn fast. And when they're in the box, it's even easier. When they're in the box and they have position, that's what you do. When you're in the box and you got position on the defender, you go down if he's yeah. pressing you like that. So, so. they, uh, man, you ended up getting a penalty late in the game. And, uh, Bogba got a penalty after getting subbed in in the second half, um, tied it 1 1. And then again, like in the 92nd minute in extra time, the ref tried giving Man U. I mean, he called the penalty, and thank God they went to VAR. And thank God that the EPL has been one of the better leagues about VAR. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's actually, it. they, they've gotten it right, too, you know. Uh, I know a lot of people have complained about the offsides because VAR does disallow several goals due to offsides. 
and you'll be excited calling goal and then it stalls out and the referee's just like this on his little earpiece and you're like, God damn. But but yeah, man, that was an interesting game. Thank God that VAR uh, reviewed that last penalty and they ended up not calling it a penalty and it was 1-1. So EPL should be fun. The top seed is pretty much settled in. Liverpool, I think, is going to win it. The thing to watch is usually it's the top four teams from every league. This year it's going to be top five from the EPL due to Man due to Man City not being yep. in the Champions League next year due to their suspension. So that race for the fourth and it's fifth. It's locked down at the top. Yeah, that, that race for the fourth and fifth seed between uh, Wolverhampton and Man U, um, Chelsea. Chelsea, Tottenham. There's a bunch of games that, and there's about eight games left in the season. So that race is going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because um, as we all know, it's just an introduced topic. Uh, Liverpool has already had locked the league up, and the second place team is facing suspension from the UCL um, in this upcoming year. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see who ends up getting that top uh, that top four, that top five spot. Five. But yeah. if I'm looking at this correctly, Leicester City is um, in. Is, are they number three? Am I looking at the right? the right list because I see them at number three with 54 points. I'm not sure that's correct, but um, it's Man City, Leicester, Chelsea, Man United, and Wolves. Yeah, Leicester's uh, are 54. Yeah, yeah, so it's two. Uh, Man City, I mean, if they end up going with that suspension, they're out. So you're looking at Leicester, Chelsea, and Man U as being the, the next guys up. And so it's really between Man U, Man U Wolves, and Sheffield United, and then you see Tottenham down there at 42 points. I mean, it's 40. Tottenham's four points back. I mean, for yeah. a win, you get three, and we play West Ham tomorrow. Actually, all the, way, all the way West, to Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, my buddy Richie's listening, brother. You better get ready for that ass. Well, West Ham, I mean, if they don't get their shit together, they're going to be looking at relegation pretty soon, too, because they're in 17th. The bottom three get relegated, and it's a very, very tight race. The only reason why they're up on Bournemouth and the relegation race is because they they're winning on point differential. They they both have 27 points in the Premiership, uh, but they're up by I think three points. Three on, goal difference. Uh, yeah, goal difference. Yeah. So um, West Ham, they're a relegation candidate. So it should be a, a highly contested game tomorrow. But I I fully expect Tottenham to get the victory. Uh, Mourinho, he's a very very conservative manager. Uh, me being a Man U fan, I had a couple of years of him. Uh, being our manager, and and he plays as far back as possible and tries to play the counter. counter. And Tottenham, they do have the talent to play that kind of soccer. Um, I, I think against Man U, as, as Ben alluded to, there's a couple different things at hand, but uh, I think against West Ham, it should be a 2-0 victory. We should dominate time of possession here. Yeah. And the thing that I'll say is Tottenham, I mean, if we win tomorrow, we're one point back of Man U. Exactly. Of course, you all still have to play again. I understand but the schedule for Tottenham is pretty easy, man. West Ham, Sheffield, Everton, Bournemouth. We do have one game against Arsenal, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, and Shoot. Leicester. So, yeah. so yeah. it's going to be interesting. Table. Exactly. Yeah, and now that and you now brought up. Harry Kane is back. Son is back. I know Harry Kane didn't really look like he was very fit, but just him being out there in the threat, like he, he just causes yeah. attention. So I do like our chances now that it's top five. With Manson being in there, I've and I've been very, very, just I guess conservative as a Man U fan because the past couple of years have not been very good to us. But 
since Ben brought up the the last couple of games for uh, Tottenham, the the last nine games for Man U are all very winnable. The only game that they have against somebody towards the the top, they have two games against teams that are at the top of the table. I guess it's against Sheffield and Leicester United at the end of the season. Other than that, it's Norwich, Brighton. Bournemouth, Aston Villa, Southampton, Crystal Palace, all games and West Ham, all very winnable games. So yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say Manchester United is going to finish with one of those top five spots and and make it into the the Premier the Champions League for next year. So because if not, we're going to win the Europa again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't want that. Yeah. So I, I want some Champions League action for Manchester United next year. Yeah, and like I'm saying. Um, just to unseed Liverpool at this point, Man City would have to win their next eight games straight, and uh, Liverpool would have to lose all eight games mathematically just for Man City to to come out on top. So and and there's no well doubt Man City, there. there's no doubt Man City could win all their next eight games well, for Liverpool's sure. Not dropping but Liverpool eight ain't dropping yeah. eight. Man. They yeah. might not even drop one. All right, moving over to the Bundesliga. That's wrapped up already. Uh, Barnes uh, got the lead there. There one, there's only one game left in this in the uh, season, and uh, yeah, the Barnes already going to be crowned. I think that's the eighth in a row for uh, Bayern as far as Bundesliga yeah. goes. This coming weekend, this coming weekend is their last set of games, and like we yep. said, Bayern. I mean, they've been rolling since they came back. They only had like four games, and then they have a little 30, 30 day break until Champions League. So. In the Series A, it's a three-way race at the top between Juventus, Lazio, and Internacional. Each of them uh, with the ability to overtake the other, depending on how that goes down. Uh, I'm glad that I I saw some life out of Juventus today uh, because they didn't look too good in their little comeback. And I know they don't have have the league wrapped up by any means because Lazio is right on their tails. I think uh, before today it was only a one-point um, differential between the two, uh, so that's going to be a really close league towards the end. Um, I, I really want to see um, how how their top their top four other than Juventus shakes out. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see who makes their Champions League at the end of the year. Yeah. And here's uh, where it gets real interesting: La Liga. It's the same two dudes, the same two teams, the. the uh, people who are always at the top, Real Madrid and Barcelona, both sitting with 65 points, eight games left for both teams. So um, every game at this point is crucial, crucial, crucial. Yep. Nobody can afford to give up a point on the other with eight games left. And uh, the only bad thing for for this race, which I would have loved to have seen, is uh, on a, a classical. But we're not going to get to see that because they don't face each other in the last eight games. That would have been nice if maybe it was, you know, they're having to play each other and here's a chance for one to get three above the other. Unfortunately, we won't see that. But that's a race to look forward to if you're a soccer fan. The La Liga race is at an all-time high. It's hot. Who are you taking? You know I like Real Madrid. So. I know. That's what I was about. I'm about to look at the table and just see ex- what, what exactly is the setting because neither one of those teams should – Unless one of them plays Atletico, I don't Honestly, see losing any of I, I their games. To, to, to win the La Liga, I, I probably have my money on on Barcelona. Just because, I, man, I don't know, it's tough because both teams are, are both respectively uh, remaining, or they're 
still in the Champions League race, both teams, I think. I think Real Madrid still matched up against City, and Barcelona has a matchup against Napoli, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Barcelona also plays Atletico on the 30th. Yeah, I like Barcelona for the Champions, but for, for La Liga, I like Real Madrid. Yeah, and you'd have to think that's where Real Madrid would be putting all of their chips because that's probably what, what they have the best chance at winning uh, when it comes down to it at the end of the day uh, between Champions League and La Liga. And we were, yeah. I think we were talking about this one of the last podcasts. Uh, you, you just have your teams uh, focusing on one competition or just just putting their eggs all in one basket in terms of what trophy they're going to win that year if they don't have multiple lined up. Yeah. Hey, um, Benzema has been pretty good as of late, man. I know I have a couple of buddies that are that are Real Madrid fans and always hating on Benzema, but he's been pretty good as of late. Big Benz, number nine, yeah. Hey, just so you all know, today there was an MLB vote uh, with the Players Association for a 60-game season. It was voted no, 33-5. to Man, and uh, starting to get a little bleak here for the MLB, man. I'm starting to think we're not going to have the season that we thought. Well, the the commissioner of which I'm surprised he hasn't enacted yet, and which, quite frankly, I think he should have done maybe about a week or two ago. He still has the the, the, the Trump card, I guess, in terms of he can just enact. A, he can No, he, he within the CBA, uh, negotiated terms from the last negotiation, or I don't know how long this has been in there, but the commissioner, if there's a disagreement on something like this in terms of the games and whatnot and these special circumstances... He can enact an automatic 48 to 54 game season and you just have to fucking show up and you, there's nothing that you can do about it. So there's a tweet, I think, from the president of the MLBPA uh, a week or two ago after one of their proposals got shot down. He just pretty much just said, just tell us where to play and win. Really? Like we're done negotiating. Just tell us where to play and win. But they've gone forth with these negotiations as you just uh, mentioned the last one that got shut down with that 60-game season. The MLBPA, they actually proposed a 70-game season prior to that, which Manfred, as soon as he saw the, the, the proposal, was like, I told the MLBPA that 70 games was impossible. So they're still at an impasse. But like I just said earlier, I think Robert Manfred at this point should just be like, look, if you guys want to play... We're going to do this 54-game season. It does not matter. We're just going to play, and you guys have to. You're contractually obligate, obligated by the CBA and the collective bargaining agreement that we agreed to to play, no matter what, no, no negotiations. So I think that's his last step, and I'm surprised he hasn't done it yet, um, but I think he needs to. Hey, he Roland, to I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. My question is, do you know anything about the salary schedule that would happen in a situation like prorated that? Or what? It, yeah. that'll pro- it'll probably be prorated. I, I don't know the, the full scale. extent, but I, I do know that it's a 54-game season and there's no negotiation because they already have that built into the CBA. Um, I, can, I can look it up if you guys are very interested into the, the salary breakdown. But, Super interesting. Um, <laughs> I, I'm interested just on the basis because I want to know Hey, if y'all can't get it together with these uh, well, making a deal, well, then what's the what's the end all be all? What's the and you the number you there? gotta think that that's why the players. I don't think that they'd want the commissioner. I mean, you you gotta think that that's why they're pushing for seventy and not fifty four, because at fifty four it's gotta be it's, it's a couple hundred million dollars or not a yeah. hundred millions, but it's a it's a lot. 
Um, there's no real math on how much is going to be paid. It's just that it's a 54-game season. It's no negotiation. M- Robert Manfred has the power to do that. But the other thing, I don't know if you guys were seeing um, that Robert Manfred was throwing around the players, was like, look, if we don't play that uh, universal DH, that's out the window. Like, I, I just don't I don't see how that's like a viable negotiating pe- or negotiation piece because the universal DH, I think, is a... a a positive to the game universally. I, I, I think it should. Wise, yeah, yeah it, should, it should be. It should be there already. So I don't know why you're throwing that around as like an, a leveraging piece um, to make this happen. I think you just need to do your job as a commissioner and be like, look, guys, if you, we've already done 30 proposals, we're just going to this 54 games. You have to play. Let's do it. But I think the larger thing at hand is. How are they going to handle the coronavirus and, and all of that stuff? So, Of all yeah. the commissioners in sports, is, is Manfred starting to look like the worst? I mean, he is. I, I, I'm not going to say that he is just based on the circumstances that he's having to deal with. Like, Goodell's look stupid without corona being uh, <laughs> an issue. True. You know what I mean? Like, and he just looks good now because football hasn't started. Yeah, and I mean, you... They handed down uh, sanctions. I know everybody already forgot the Astros cheated with all this BS that's been happening. Yeah, and now there's a lot of Yankee talk about them cheating too. They came down on the Astros. They came down on the Red Sox. Like, can they really be mad at Manfred? I mean, if there wasn't Corona, there was going to be a full season. I don't think that you got to you know send them to the bottom of the commissioner list just based on these circumstances that we're dealing well, just with. Just on the inability to get the deal done is what I'm trying to get at. For sure, man. But I mean, it's if if you yeah, know I, that at the end of the day, you hold the last say be, based on what Roland gave us on the terms of the last contract. Why are you really going to give in if it's going to be, you know, fifty four games regardless? Yeah, yeah. I, I just to answer your question, Justin. My I, he probably looks like the worst right now, but my personal least favorite commissioner in professional sports is is Don Garber, the commissioner of the MLS, just because he refuses to put a team in San Antonio. So that that's just personal yeah. for me. But Robert Manfred does not look too good right now. All right. Austin got one. Bullshit. <laughs> well, uh, here's a, a, a topic that it's going to be – it's a little hard to talk about, man. It's a little disappointing we have to talk, to about, talk about as far as sports goes. But, um, man, uh, Bubba Wallace, NASCAR's only – Black driver, current black driver, um, with Richard Petty of Motorsports, I believe. Yep. Richard this this weekend at uh, Talladega, they found a noose in his garage, and um, the the part that's you know yesterday yesterday the part that's really hard about this is that there's a lot of restricted access to who can even get into the garage. So if if it was somebody that is in his garage, it's part of his team. Or, or someone who had access to the garage that's inside the NASCAR circuit, man. Yeah. And um, it's just sad when you're trying to move forward as a country and, and you know, you're trying to move forward in sports and you got situations that are happening like this, man. And uh, I want to give you all a chance to speak on this because, man, it, it's a little upsetting for me, man. It's a little hard to take in when I saw that. Uh, we, I did get to see them, uh, the NASCAR drivers, unite and push his car to the to the leadership, uh, and that was dope as a as a NASCAR thing to do. But uh, let me hear what yeah. y'all got to say on this. 
Well, I'm going to start real quick. Just based off what you just said, this you said it's restricted access back there. And we saw everybody in NASCAR and their pit crews pushing that car today. First thing that I thought was whoever put that shit there was there, was walking, whether they were pushing his car, walking behind him, uh, walking behind everybody pushing his car with the limited access that there was. I don't think it, it was anybody in his team, but it's only racers and their pit crews that have access to that. So it had to be somebody. Another stupid thing that I've been seeing on Twitter, and we just got to put an end to it, is they're trying to say that he put it there himself, comparing it to the Jussie Smollett thing. Bro, you'd be surprised, bro. You would hope to I'm see 80%, right now, so I haven't seen that. 80% behind, behind Wallace, but it's literally 50-50 with people saying, he put it there himself. I haven't seen or that. Or his crazy. team put it there. No, I'm glad I'm off Twitter right now. It's going around, brother. It's going around. You know, I'm so, glad I didn't see that because honestly, yeah, man, that, that's that, crazy. Yeah, it's, it, it's bad. And yeah. to think that this dude would want that much attention, uh, he what, he was the one pushing for the Confederate flag to be canceled from and NASCAR. It did. And it did. So you could see why people would want to do something like this to put fear. Uh, in him to scare him, whatever it may be, to show their dislike. Um, and they were saying if NASCAR doesn't release the video, because you know that there was cameras in the garages, if they don't release the video of who it was, then Bubba Wallace did it himself. Just bullshit, bro. The stuff, wow, the stuff that, the stuff, the reasons that makes you not want to be on the internet, like, and that's because today when he put. You uh together together united or something like that when everybody was pushing him, man. I clicked on his post and I looked at the comments, you know, in his comment section. And bro, it's brutal, man. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's clearly a problem. This guy made a change in NASCAR, and here are the repercussions. Last weekend, they flew a Confederate flag over the NASCAR racetrack on this a plane. Weekend they did it. They or did this it weekend. yesterday. This weekend outside the tracks. Yeah. Just due to NASCAR. Due to them not being able to have Confederate flags on the grounds anymore, they took their time to get a little private plane and run the Confederate flag banner behind the plane. Uh, it's bad, yeah. bro. Today during the Bruni game in Manchester Manchester City, everybody's kneeling before the, before kickoff. They blow the whistle for the game to start, and a plane flies by that says "White Lives Matter," Bruni the team that Man City was playing. And right away, the EPL got on the horn, said they weren't responsible, but that actions were going to be taken towards whoever did fly that plane over the stadium. And I know that the FBI is investigating the noose that was found in Bubba Wallace's uh, garage. So a despicable, despicable acts, stuff that you don't want to see, especially right now, there has been people around the country, whether it's suicide or they're claiming that it's suicide, but there's been about three or four people that have been hung uh, around the country. So to put a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage, definitely trying to strike fear in him. But man, some of the lowest, lowest people on earth, bro. Lowest, lowest people on earth. Yeah, um, Ben, I, I think you did a really good job of um, explaining all of that and um, just really tapping into, you know, all of the, the emotions that all of us are feeling right now in terms of the infuriation and as, as far as how somebody could even do this. But just to, I mean, just to open up the, the world a little bit of people who could have done that. Um, I mean, people who have access to that are security and you have the cleaning crew 
and then of course you have all the, the crew members of, of all the respective teams and whatnot. So and then even then, you're 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 looking at thirty three percent of the the usual population that's working that that event. So it's a very limited amount of people that could have even had access to that spot um, to begin with. And then with the coronavirus, that's slashed by 66%. So it, it's a very limited amount of people. And I'm glad that, Na that NASCAR came out and said, e even before this happened, I'm glad that they, they took the Confederate flag out of the out of the NAS out of NASCAR because that, it was a very prevalent thing. I mean, NASCAR primarily takes place in the southern states the confederate states from the the past if you will and you know this isn't a very political podcast at all but when it comes to just you know treating people the way that they should be um and whatnot and just having the i guess a, a good moral compass when it just comes down to it at the end of the day uh, you know there's no place for that stuff um in sport or even into in today's world as far as um what the confederate flag what the confederate flag stands for and, and kind of uh, what that um, indication or, or what that the message that meaning pushes, is, or what yeah. the, what's behind it? I, I'm the the word that I'm looking for. It's escaping me right now, but um, it, it's not a very good connotation, or doesn't carry a very good connotation behind it as far as the Confederate flag. And props to Bubba Wallace for taking a stance. Um, I feel bad that uh, he has to endure this um, in a, in at, in 2020. But as we all know, that the world right now is in a very, I guess, precarious place. I don't want to say bad, but I mean, you, you could very easily say it's in a bad place right now in terms of just everything that's going on. But sport is, is always that one place or it's supposed to be that place where all things aside, everybody, and, and it should be like this in life, but in sport, if you're there to do uh, one thing, you're there to race, or you're there to play basketball, aside from the way that you look, it, it does not matter. It should never matter. And just for somebody to, to take the time out of their day to go and put a noose or something to try and send some sort of a message, it is, it's ridiculous. And that person, as NASCAR said, um, has no place in the sport and should be removed. And I hope they, they face some sort of um, criminal penalty for, for what they did because that's borderline hate crime, um, especially with everything that we have going on in the world today. But. Uh, I, I can't say I'm super surprised. It's crazy news, but just the type of sport the NASCAR is and their main core fan base uh, that really follows NASCAR uh, being throughout the South, I, I can't say I'm too surprised, but I just really hope that uh, Bubba Wallace is taken care of. It looks like he's he is being taken care of by his peers, um, his teammate and his teammates and his family. Uh, but he he really needs the utmost support of the general public, um, not just the the NASCAR community and the sports community. He needs the general public's um, support. As Ben said, it doesn't look like he's he's getting so much of that on social media. But there's some pretty nasty things going on around social media all the time. Uh, but I just think everybody just like I encourage everybody to do do your reading. Do your research on this stuff. I mean, it, it's not very hard to see the, the right and the wrong in some of this. But, yeah, there's no place for this in NASCAR. I'm sorry that Bubba Wallace is having to go through this. But it's just another lesson learned and hopefully another opportunity for the sport of NASCAR to to look at itself in the mirror and continue to work on things. Because, as I said, I mean, historically, it's a, a sport that takes, throughout, takes place throughout the southern states. Um, and they've always embraced kind of the Confederate flag. It's always been there. 
uh, at the sport. And now that they removed it, you saw that racer or whoever. I don't even know the guy's name. He hadn't even won a race. He decided <laughs> to retire. Junk. Yeah, and everybody gave him shit about it. So, I mean, you have those guys, if, and if he feels that strongly about it to retire, you can only imagine some of the fans that follow the sport and how they felt when the Confederate flag was eradicated. So, uh, props to NASCAR, but it's far from over, and hopefully um, they continue to, to make the right moves. Yeah, I just hope they, the, they find the, the only guy. black driver, bro. That's the clearly a, a, a sign just to get him out of the sport. And to to scare any other African-American who either looks up to Bubba Wallace or just loves driving cars and aspires to be a NASCAR driver, that's just trying to push him out, man. It's it's terrible. It's bad. It's a very bad look for the sport. NASCAR has been behind Bubba Wallace and, you know, by removing the Confederate flag and, and acting, but this is bad. This is bad, and it's within the NASCAR community because those are the only people who had access to the garages so yeah i mean i just hope they find the person who did it and and he gets fired for being racist man i mean that's just what i what i hope happens that's what it comes down to bubba wallace should be celebrated because this is your only diverse uh racer um this shouldn't be happening to him for sure but i'm glad y'all gave your your pieces Ah. on it um i thank y'all for that uh hopefully we move forward uh, as far as all sports go you know and not backwards. All right. As you know, we got that uh, Rona going around. And every week we like to give a little Dr. Saucy update. So, Dr. Saucy, hit us with the news. Yeah, man. It's actually pretty heavy this week. I, I know we didn't really get into it in episode nine because n- nothing had really developed. Uh, when we uh, met last week, but a lot of stuff has really gone down in terms of um, you, you've seen a couple of teams or in terms of colleges, uh, they really they released or they let everybody come back starting June the 8th in terms of voluntary workouts. So recently you saw LSU, who's a big time Division one football team and Clemson put 30 t- 30 players and I think 23 players respectively in quarantine. That doesn't mean that all 30 and 23 players necessarily tested positive for the virus, but they came in contact with somebody or they came in contact with enough people that tested positive for the virus during their voluntary workouts, uh, which led to all of these guys being quarantined on um, on campus apartments and, and dorm rooms and whatnot by themselves. And to add on to the colleges, I know Kansas State they were another team that reported a bunch of uh, COVID uh, positive tests. I think they reported 14. Um, so there, there's a lot of stuff still working through. But I guess if there's a positive for any of this is that the teams, they reacted very promptly in terms of uh, quarantining everybody that came in contact uh, with the said positive tests. And we're only in June right now. So they still have a lot of time to work through to get to the football season and get in um, <clears throat> and get everything shook out. But it raises a lot of questions for what happens when one of these guys tests positive during the season. What's going to be the protocol? This really hasn't been anything that has been addressed in terms of football. When it comes to college football and the NFL, I know the NBA 
they do have some protocols. The uh, um, Premier League and all the soccer leagues that have come out, they have protocols, which we'll get into later on in the update. Uh, but football really hasn't answered that question right now. The standard for everybody right now in terms of the general public is a 14-day quarantine if you test positive or come in contact with somebody because um, it takes a couple of days for the, the virus to incubate. So if you test negative the day after, that's more than likely a false negative in terms of coming in contact with somebody. So they're asking everybody that's come in contact with them to also go into quarantine for about 14 days. So that's something to look out for in terms of um, other sports coming to play and as the seasons get going when somebody has uh, a positive test. Uh, and then just going through, just flying by some of these updates, uh, China, they decided to open up. I know uh, the CBA, they had a previous date they were trying to open up on. But in, in light of more tests or more positive tests uh, throughout China, they decided to wait. But they actually did return um, on Saturday uh, with the Zay Hang Lions. I'm going to butcher this, but they got a W over the, over the Monkey Kings, 112 to 95. I know Jeremy Lin is still over there, and he's playing on the uh, the Beijing Ducks. Um, so they're, they're, uh, they might have played um, sometime this weekend. I don't know what the result of that game was, but I know Jeremy Lin uh, decided to stay in the CBA and, and go ahead and play over there. Um, NBA players, I saw something funny. I, I, I know one of you guys sent this into the group chat. We can pause here and have a little conversation after I give the, the next little NBA update. But uh, they're, they're going to wear some COVID detection rings, or there's a chance that there's going to players will wear these rings that have a possible uh, 90% accuracy rate in terms of early detection for the virus. It, it looks at things such as your heart rate, obviously, it looks at your temperature. Um, it's, it's supposed to be able to tell if somebody's going to um, have these COVID symptoms up to three days in advance with 90% accuracy. And just to give you a little bit of a um, cost perspective in terms of how much all of this is costing for the NBA, uh, it, it's about 299 a pop for all of these rings or maybe 300 a pop. Uh, I forgot what the name of the company is that, that runs this, but it's a privately held company. It's Aura Ring, O-U-R-A Ring, and they sell these for 300 bucks a pop. I don't know if it's something that just came about in, in light of the uh, coronavirus, uh, but yeah, these players are going to be wearing these rings around the Disney Resort. Um, and just to, to pause it here, after this last update, Davis Bertans actually came out today and said that he he does not want to play and he's going to sit out the restart in Orlando. So um, interesting developments in the NBA, but that aura ring is kind of interesting. Do you guys think that's legit? Would you put much credence in that? If you were a player and you saw that it was like bleeping red, like, oh no, I'm a coronavirus um, suspect or something. What or you, you gotta think, like, what's the science behind it? Like, is it just a thermometer? Well, there's a thermometer aspect, and it has something that takes track of your heartbeat also, because supposedly that has something to do with... It's uh, kind of like a smartwatch, you know, the way they're able yeah. to uh, check your BPM, check your uh, your lung, um, the amount of your, the lung, oxygen to your lungs. So they're going to be able to do all that with this ring. Uh, if I'm a player, hell yes, I want one. Yeah, and it's I crazy, mean, though, because... In advance, I think that's very good, but the only thing that's giving me a little bit of skepticism about this is that it's still a very small sample size in terms of how they're giving out their their numbers. That ninety percent, you know, there was a six hundred person study 
that that happened and that's kind of how they're basing their numbers and they're still doing an additional 10,000 people uh, for this study so there's still a lot to be seen that 90% number could go up or down in terms of its accuracy so uh, just a little bit of uh, just plain devil's advocate there just a little skepticism um, but continuing on with the MBA um, I, I think it's very interesting that they decided to choose the Orlando Disney Res uh, Disney Resort um, I, I get it's a bubble. It's a confined place. You can control who goes in and who goes out. You have the infrastructure there in terms of the basketball courts and all of that for the games that you want to play. And then, you, of course, you have the lodging for all of the players to stay in their respective hotels. But Florida is probably next to Texas, the next hot spot in this whole uh, coronavirus wave. Um, the, the numbers have just continuously been going up in both Florida and Texas as of recent. Uh, they were both uh, pretty relaxed on their reopening rules, um, and, and you see the numbers going up. And so su supposedly uh, Adam Silver does not feel very, very good, or he does not have a good feeling um, about <clears throat> what's going on in Florida. And so it just leads me to believe that it's is, and I'm gonna have to retract a little bit, but it's just very hard to believe that you can go three months, which the NBA is gonna try and do from July to October, when the end of the proposed uh, NBA finals would be, without a hiccup, without somebody testing positive for the coronavirus and throwing a wrench in your plans. Because as I said earlier, for the general public, you have to incubate or you have to quarantine for 14 days if you have the virus or if somebody has come in close contact with you so just to go on and jump to another part of the world but it's very uh it, it resembles the, the united states in terms of russia they never really corralled the virus they never really um saw a, a flattening of the curve if you will it's much like the United States right now, and we're, we're trying to go through with the reboot of, of sports, even though the virus is rising, and you can have your own opinion, but I'm not here to get into that right now. It's just that Russia, they started the Russian Premier League recently, and they went through with a game this past weekend where six players prior to the game tested positive for the coronavirus, and they were all forced to withdraw themselves from competition as is the protocol for the coronavirus and, and sports trying to go forward. Six players that were all starters, I think, from one team had to sit out. The Russian team had to replace them with teenage replacements from their under-19 team or whatever. It, it's from their, uh, their farm system. These guys were not starters. They were bench players, maybe not even on their active roster. But they ended up losing 10-1 to 1 that game that they ended up playing the next day. You flip that and you put it on the NBA. The NBA, if let's just put it and just play devil's advocate, you get into the playoffs and you have the Western Conference Finals between the Clippers and the Lakers and LeBron James, or just to, I'm not picking on LeBron James, let's go Kawhi Leonard. He tests positive with the coronavirus before game seven. He has to sit out of the game. Isn't that the biggest asterisk of all time? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that... There's already an asterisk on this year's season. 
That, that's what I'm saying. With it, you saying that, with you setting up that scenario, and then Kawhi game seven against bro, you're getting you're happen. giving these guys false hope. They're gonna oh, have come a on, dream. man. They're gonna have a wet dream tonight, rolling with the shit. Oh, like, so you're saying the Clippers it, are taking it, care of them before it's the game seven? I, I think it's gonna be Clippers and Rockets first of all. But you're God, it's a lot of false boy. hope being thrown out here, bro. Well, thank you for for adding that uh, that little uh, joke there, but just. To be serious, though, in all seriousness, if that happens, I mean, what validity does the next game have even, right? And that's the big question at hand because the NBA, they're trying to finish the season, get the playoffs, name a champion, start their next season, all very close to one another. So the room for error or the margin for error is almost zero. Because I just threw out a scenario in the playoffs. What happens if somebody tests positive in these beginning stages or um, in the play-in games or whatever? Maybe that's right? why they're getting them there early. <laughs> and, and they already are starting a round of testing starting tomorrow. And that's when we're going to, I think, see a wave of players either confirm or deny whether or not they're coming. So I guess... the um, other. The other big thing was just the fact that at Disney, they're going to be in the bubble. But as far as all the staff for Disney, they're not going to be in a bubble. They're going to go about their regular lives, uh, leave the compound, go home, do their normal stuff, and then come back to work the next day with all these NBA players who are being held in to that Disney resort. Right? So all you're saying that all these Disney employees can go home, live their regular lives, bring Corona back over here. And risk everybody. I know that's been a big problem yeah, with a yeah. lot of the players. But that's why it's hard to believe that the bubble is not going to be penetrated. It's, yeah. it's somebody, somehow, just the way that Ben laid it out perfectly. I mean, that is a gap in the system right there in terms of the proposed bubble with having the Disney um, workers right. being able to live their normal lives. Let's uh, talk I know about that Russian extreme. thing. Roll in real quick. You said six players uh, tested yeah. and they had to go out. What is six NBA players week one, same team test positive? Do they forfeit their season at that point? I mean, I don't think they forfeit. They're going to find a way to, to call some guys up from the G League or whatever to, to get the roster they got to quarantine going. two weeks. But, but, I just, so but what I'm switch. saying is, and, and I asked at, at the beginning with the Kawhi Leonard thing, is that ruins the validity yeah, absolutely. of what you're trying to do. There's already an asterisk on it, bro. But that's they didn't why play a full Astra, 81 games. 80. The Astra grows even larger if one of those scenarios happens. It is this wide. So yeah, the NBA. The, the Astra grows, like you said, unless the Lakers win, then there's no problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very hard to believe that this thing is going to go on without a hitch is all that I'm trying to get at here um, in laying that scenario. I, I think there's going to be some bump along the road, and I think we're going to start to find out a lot more once the NBA starts doing this testing on their players. But to get off of the NBA, uh, the NFL and, and their brass, I guess the NFL organization, they feel pretty confidently um, about getting on with the season. I know they're the sport that we've identified as having the most time to prepare and see how it, all the other team, or how the, all the other organizations and leagues are handling uh, the, the positive cases and, and what happens after that and how do you move forward uh, with having a season and whatnot and what the proper protocols are. So the NFL, they feel like they have it properly 
um, handled right now. They think they're taking the right steps. Um, I know we talked about it real briefly uh, last or two podcasts ago um, about the NFL and their tiered program. So as a way to limit the access and and limit the players' um, chances of, of getting the coronavirus, they've created this tier system that will limit the amount of people that have actual access to the same uh, parts of the facility that the players would have. So I know tier one would be um, players, personnel, coaches, uh, training staff and whatnot. And they'll all have uh, that exclusive access to the sidelines, obviously to the locker rooms, the field and all those facilities. And it's just a way to mitigate the risk uh, when it terms to when it comes to spreading the coronavirus. And if somebody does test positive, at least based on that tiered little level, if save is somebody in tier three, the chances that they've come in contact with somebody in tier one or walk to the same premise as tier one is thought to be limited because of the level of access that you would have. But just to play devil's advocate and not really even devil's advocate because this is an actual player that's coming out is a Jason McCourty uh, he came out recently and said that he's not so optimistic um, about um, going through with the NFL season and, and all that is being asked of them. And, I mean, he's kind of following uh, what Sean McVay said a few weeks ago. He he wasn't maybe being so mum about it, but he just didn't see how you could practice social distancing and all of that and still have uh, the football season and do all of that. But the other thing that I thought was pretty telling and it's kind of scary uh, right now as all we as of as we all know and we're all um, Instagram um, people here and we all follow um, our favorite football players and right now is uh, the hot season for private workouts you see all of them with uh, playing seven on seven skeleton or just a quarterback throwing to a bunch of receivers and they've since been asked by the NL the NFLPA to put a halt on all of those private workouts and try and refrain from doing that because the thought is again they want to limit the chances of them contracting the virus prior to the football season. So I guess just to, to end the update with kind of a question um, is out of, I, I guess, the NBA and the NFL um, and maybe just throwing in the MLB in there, which season do you have the most confidence in going on? Well, NFL, just post- because they got the uh, upper hand of getting to see how everyone else goes beforehand. They're the furthest out, so I think I have the most confidence with them. Mm, MLB I have the least confidence in because they were shutting down facilities as early as this week. And they haven't even started. And they're talking about getting training camps started in a week or two now. I guess we had breaking news over our our last segment, but supposedly the, the MLB agreed to a deal. And I know the Phillies just shut down their their facility yep. over the weekend. So, agree. I mean, we'll see. And I know that they're planning on playing at every team's home stadium. So the MLB won't be in a bubble. They'll be traveling. Uh, of course, they have their own team planes and, and whatever it may be. But I would say the season that happens is the NBA. Just because it's the least amount of players required per team. So just kind of like how MMA has been, and even in MMA this past week, we had a a Frivola Frivola pull out of his fight due to a corner man testing positive. So a corner man tested positive, the UFC just scrapped the whole fight. If your corner man tests positive and you've you've obviously 
been around your corner man because they're only sending two or three people to corner you right now. That's as big as teams are. So with the with the way the UFC's been able to take care of it and NBA has about 12 to 15 players per roster, you know, obviously coaches and stuff as well, but I think with as limited as their numbers are, I would say that the NBA and also just because it seems like they've had a lot of preparation and I think they have the best commissioner. So I'm just happy with the NBA. And uh, for so Volas did not test positive himself. Right. It was just the cornerman. So And even then they pulled it, bro. That tells you the UFC's they had Jacare test positive earlier, pulled his fight. Nobody else tested positive. UFC has now, a playbook and they're sticking to it, man. Right. Yeah. And you know what? The UFC started in Florida. Now the NBA is going to Florida. It just so happens that Florida is the hot spot now. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the UFC kind of beat the curve and now they're they back to Vegas. Yeah. They went to Vegas. Um, what, what NFL team do you think is going to get busted for playing a positive COVID player knowingly? Texans. <laughs> My vote would probably be the Patriots. I, I think Bill Belichick will pull some shit off like that, or maybe even the, the Buccaneers. I, I'm pretty sure Tom Brady tests positive for COVID. He's not going to tell anybody he's going to play. He, he's that kind of shady guy, in my opinion, but that's just me. Yeah, you uh, know what? Just on a serious note, you know, the Patriots probably would pull something like that. Yeah, so. You got two no, or three guys note, coughing on the sideline. On a serious note, probably the Cowboys because Zeke's dirty, bro. <laughs> oh, this guy. I mean, crabs he, and Corona, bro? I told you the Crabs was a joke, dog. That was a joke, dude. We can't be spreading rumors about Zeke, bro. That's official. All right, well. Uh, anybody else uh, got anything to say as far as Dr. Saucy updates go here? Mm, I mean, Dr. Saucy himself here just saying that I don't like giving these updates because that means that coronavirus is still there. But uh, hopefully these updates keep on getting more and more positive in terms of, hey, we're getting closer to having more uh, domestic league sports come back like ML- MLB, NBA and NFL. So that's all it's, I have to say. Honestly, though, working at the hospital, man, it's not looking good. Like we over the weekend, we came in, we came back to a fucking shit storm today on Monday. Like just with the way and today, like Greg Abbott was out there saying, you know, that there's been a, a huge uprise in Texas. We're a hot spot now, pretty much. Um, now, even in New Braunfels, I know I told you all maybe two or three episodes ago, you weren't required to wear masks everywhere. You could just go in. Now it's mask required everywhere. I believe so, that's a statewide mandate now, right? Okay, that's probably why then. But yeah, man, it's it's definitely picking up a lot. I know our hospital, like we're out of beds pretty much just because of all the COVID patients. Uh, units are being shut down again. Like they had to stop doing surgeries at the hospital due to COVID. And then they re- when everything reopened back up, the hospital also reopened back up, but since opening back up, numbers have just gotten so high that the hospital's actually over flooded with COVID patients. Yeah, I think once that we started opening up a little bit, everybody just disrespected For social distancing and, and using the mask, and, and it went a little haywire there. I mean, anybody see South, pa- South Padre Island on Memorial Day? I mean, that's all you got to know right there. I mean, everybody was just waiting to get out and go crazy so yeah we, i mean no surprise no so you know and i feel like you know you should justin, be able to get out yeah, but justin just put the mask on you know yeah there you put go the justin was there justin was over there at the beach spreading yeah. it. hey but you know i i socially distance i put my mask on when i was out there you know all right all, all right, right well, 
That's it for Dr. Saucy this week. Uh, as we were talking earlier, man, we hope these... I enjoy these Dr. Saucy updates, but we kind of hope they stop because we want things yeah. to go back to normal. We hope uh, I always try and keep Rona it saucy. gets though. eradicated here. All right, all right. Uh, we got some UFC news. We got a UFC finite recap. That was uh, Blades and Volkov. Uh, you got card. to see that fight. Uh, you got to see Blades for the most part. Just ragdoll Volkov, uh, at least for four rounds, at least. I mean, it was all Blades that night. It was. It was all Blades, it but was. it was not entertaining at oh, all. Not to the level Eric. of the talk he had. That's for damn sure. Yeah. He, he said he was going to whoop some, and he you just thought hugged him. He would be a little bit more aggressive on the ground with those elbows, but uh, I really didn't see much of it. I mean, but... For all intents and purposes, he did kind of dominate the the rounds. I mean, at least three and a half rounds from what I saw. I, th I thought he, he had the clear advantage in. There was a late surge, but he did what he needed for a victory. Um, I do get the whole fact of he did talk it up a lot. He did say, I'm going to ragdoll my opponents for 25 minutes or whatever, and I'm, I'm sorry, that's just what's going to happen, and blah, blah, blah. It kind of gave Dana White some ammo to, to, to shoot at him after the fight, but... Um, yeah, it wasn't the most entertaining fight, but uh, Blades did what he said what he was going to do. Or in, in terms of his game plan, he stuck to it, so it's whatever. Afterwards, uh, Blades said he's the heel now, and he knows his role. Okay, bro. I mean, c consider yourself the heel, I guess. <laughs> but, um, that was his second time ever being scheduled for five rounds. He had never gone five rounds before. Um, he, he had been he scheduled for yeah, he had been scheduled for five rounds against Overeem, but he ended up knocking him out in the second. So now he finally had to go all five. And, you know, as a wrestler, you expect the wrestlers cardio, cardio, cardio. Um, it seemed like some on some of his takedowns, he was just trying too damn hard, bro. Like, you don't have to suplex the guy. He's six foot eight, six foot nine. Uh, yeah. Just get him to the ground and ride him out. I also think Volkov didn't really help the cause. Uh, Volkov didn't help the cause when he would get taken down. He would, you know, cross his legs and have Blades sitting his in guard. his guard and not yeah. letting Blades pass. Uh, instead of, you know, controlling the hips and trying to get Blades off of him, he was kind of just cool with sitting in that position and trying to let Herb Dean, Herb Dean pick him up. So the main event was very underwhelming for me. I mean, I know that we all had Blades winning. He was one half of our consensus, which... Didn't end up coming in uh, due to Roberts. We'll get into that a bit later, but pretty safe fight from Blades. I don't think that he gained much momentum. No. Um, he's. De I know he even said that he needs another fight before 2020 uh, with Dana saying Naganu's next for the title and us knowing that that Stipe and DC fight isn't happening until August. So Naganu probably isn't going to get a title shot until December, maybe 2021. I would like to see Blades fight the winner of uh, Derek Lewis, and I forget who Derek Lewis is fighting, but it's coming up here in the next month. Uh, him and him and Derek Lewis have been jawing back and forth at each other. I think that that fight needs to happen. Derek Lewis beat Francis Ngannou. I know it was probably the most boring heavyweight fight of all time because only 30 strikes were thrown, but he did beat him. And Derek Lewis also knocked out Volkov. Um, so, yes, I mean, he did. He's, he's beaten two guys that Curtis Blade hasn't beaten. Last minute knockout, right? If Last if minute. it's a main event, I believe that Derek Lewis has a chance only because I saw how winded Curtis Blades gets 
But if it's but, only a three-round fight, I could see Curtis Blades just taking Derek Lewis down to the ground. The way uh, DC fighting. did it. He, he's, yeah, fighting exactly like he's, he's fighting Alexi Olenek. He's fighting Olenek. He's fighting Olenek. Alexi Olenek. And I expect Derek Lewis to beat Alexi Olenek. So I could see that uh, that Blades and Derek Lewis fight happening next. But wasn't very impressed with Blades, man. I expected a lot more. I expected him to get Volkov out of there, actually. Yeah, Blades was talking like he was going to get the title shot next after Ngannou. So he was going to wait it out. And then Dana goes, that's, a long time that's to the wait. last thing he needs to do is wait it out. His cardio okay. is about he should be back in the ring soon. So Dana's not looking forward to having him wait at any point here. He wants him in the octagon. Yeah, that's a long time to wait, too. I, I don't know if that's in his best interest. But I do like Ben mentioning Derek Lewis in that. I think that would be a pretty decent fight. And Blades did bring up Derek Lewis in his his post-fight interview or in, in one of those post-fight scrums. Right. He, he was talking about Derek Lewis. Like, what did he even do in his his past fight against um, Olenek? And he's like, and he, then you saw him against Naganu. He's like, that wasn't even a fight or whatever. So he was kind of dismissive of Derek Lewis. But... I wouldn't be surprised Derek Lewis gets an emphatic victory against Olenek and then calls out Blades for talking all that shit after after his fight. So, yeah, that, one, that's a good one. One thing I will say, man, is, like, for us, how we did – Blades was one half of our consensus parlay. Obviously, that didn't hit. But those are the type of fighters that you want your money on, bro. Fighters that stick to the game plan. Like, Blades, yeah, yeah. He, he even tweeted it before the fight. Like, it might not be the most exciting shit, but I'm going to do what I know his weakness is and I know that I can get him to the ground. He took him down over 10 times. He might not have been that effective with the ground and pound, even though I was talking him up as having yeah. arguably some of the best ground and pound in UFC. He does, But though. he stuck he does, to the game plan. As far as heavyweight, it's just didn't yeah. look good this he's, weekend. He stuck to the game plan, and he won. You know what I mean? So that's all that you can ask for, especially when you're uh, recommending that for people to put their money yeah. in. Yeah, no, of course. And But as far as the fans are concerned, I will say... Um, just in conversation with, with people, like my brother being one of them, he thought that that was an extremely boring fight. I mean, I sure. knew and I even explained the strategy of Blades to my brother who who might not know. And I just tried to let him know about Blades' game plan. He's like, still, like, even with that, that, that was not very entertaining to watch. And he was expecting a little bit more of the grounded pound from Blades. But um, Blades didn't do his, himself any favor in terms of positioning with the UFC or with the fans pushing for him to get that fight. He was way too gassed, too. Well, bro. I mean, true. He barely uh, did, you see, did you see him in the post fight? Uh, yeah. He was hands on his head and yeah. just eyes closed. And I'm not making fun of him because I'm not getting that ring, but he was gassed. And <laughs> he was gassed. Well, I mean, sure. I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you know that's a hard fight uh, to follow up when you had Shane Burgos. And Emmett, the fight before that. I mean, that's fight, fight of the night. Candidate. Those guys were rock'em, sock'em robots going at it, you know. So the, when you have a fight of that quality, the Blades fight's going to look a lot boring right after that one. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's a good everybody point. was saying that Burgos and Emmett should have been the main event. And, bro, had it been the main event, we might have had a different outcome. Um, Josh Emmett kept his 100% knockdown rate in that division. It'll knock people uh, down. Yeah, Burgos started off well. It looked like Emmett even had a little knee injury. He did in the he first round. His ACL kind of self self imposed, self inflicted because I don't think Burgos was even kicking at the knee. No, um, he hyperextended himself. But the second and third round kind of seemed like it was all Josh Emmett. Man, what a fight! Like you said, they got fight of the night. Both fighters getting that fifty thousand dollar bonus for fight of the night. 
But man, for Shane Burgos, a talk about a fight that sets you back. Yeah, I know, and I think he he did exactly what you and Justin um, said that he was going to do. Hands. He drops his hands, and he he and I think they alluded to it in in the broadcast, and you could tell in watching. He's just very confident in his in his abilities and his reflexes as a striker to be able to get out of the and to duck and weave and to uh, evade the big shot, but. Emmett but he was wasn't really he wasn't really ducking and weaving. No, he wasn't. Like, he was but getting that's caught. What I'm and yeah. he and he was smiling in the first and second round, and in the third round when he started hitting the ground. Like and a disclaimer: I know last podcast I said I had Emmett uh, Thursday, Friday actually after weigh-ins. I ended up switching my pick to Burgos, just trying to stay loyal. Golly, what a big mistake! But honestly, man. I don't know if you could say Burgos loses so much height behind him off no, of this no, fight. No, 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 no. Because no. he showed that his chin is definitely worthy in that division. Nobody in that division hits harder than Josh Emmett. He's got to put and up his fucking hands, man. He went three rounds. And for a guy as long as him and as good as him, you got to be more elusive, bro. Exactly. You got to be slicker. You got to be slicker. Because I agree. he's definitely the better striker, but he was just getting caught. That, yeah, that's he, pretty much when he came he was down. definitely the, the far more technical puncher. He was definitely yeah. using his, his length at times. He was the quicker puncher as well. I will give him that, although Emmett does have that explosive ability, and he connected a bunch of times on him. But, man, he just needs to <laughs> limit the damage that he takes because Burgos is very, very talented when it comes to striking. Yeah, he, he might be towards the top of the division, but yeah, he just needs to put his hands up or play a little bit more defense. Yeah, Roland, like you said, um, that's one of the fights that we called uh, me and Ben as far as what would happen. Another fight we called that could happen was the Jim Miller fight. Only way that he could win was a sub, we said. And sure yeah, enough, the happened. parlay buster himself, Jim Miller breaking up our parlay, our consensus parlay his, with his an record armbar. walkout. His I record mean, walkout, right? He tied uh, Donald Cerrone for most walkouts to the USC Octagon or something like that. 35. Yeah. It surprised me how fast he was able to get Roberts to the ground. And and just because we said the only way Jim Miller can win is by submission. And if you're like Roberts spent over a minute with him on the ground before he finally kind of scrambled, tried getting out. He left his long ass arm hanging. And that's all Jim Miller needed, man. It was a verbal tap. Also, I don't even think that he was able to tap with his other arm. He just said, ah, that's it, that's it, that's it, or something like that. And and the ref called it, but fuck, man. What a performance by Jim Miller. I mean, the dude, just like we said, he had Lyme's disease. He finally learned how to control it and fight through it without gassing. I think if this fight had been pushed a little bit into the later rounds, uh, Roosevelt Roberts could have outlasted an older Jim Miller. But Jim Miller got the fight to the ground exactly like his game plan probably was. He knew that he was a more decorated uh, grappler. He was the vet. And, bro, he pulled another one out. Yeah. yeah. And, Just and, for uh, some transparency here, I had a four-fight parlay, and Jim Miller busted it right away. I, I hit good. on all the other ones, but it don't matter when Jim Miller's busting yeah. it up in the beginning. And and as Ben mentioned at the beginning of that, uh, Roosevelt Roberts, or not even that, uh, I think he was talking about the Shane Burgos and switching his pit to Emmett and having that transparency there. You know, these picks sometimes, especially with the pick em, well, I mean, some of these are subject to change. And just to, to just clarify a little bit, 
when the podcast has a consensus play, something that we're throwing out there um, in terms of, hey, guys, we actually recommend you putting some money on this. Or if you want to put a bet on fight night, go ahead and take this consensus play because that's what we're throwing out there to the public. Go ahead and by all means, that play is solid in stone. And if we miss on that, again, we're going to come out and we're going to be transparent about it. And we're going to try and get the next one back and try and get positive. But with these pick'em plays that we're throwing out, I just want you guys to know these are strictly for the pick'em contest. And that's it, really. I mean, for example, myself, I picked Josh Emmett, but I really... I was picking him for the contest and I didn't really put money on him that night because I just picked him for the contest and I had other plays that I was more confident in. I'm not saying that that's a play that you should tail me on and put your money on. If, if you want to take uh, the advice or if you liked something that Ben said and put that as your, your pick and pick, then so on and uh, go ahead and do that. But as far as the betting is concerned, that is the consensus play for the podcast and, and we will make that known. Uh, for the betting, just so there's full transparency and everybody knows what's going on. Uh, we're, we'll even start, and we started this last week, we're going to be pinning our consensus plays on our Twitter page, and we'll be posting it on our Facebook page as well, if you guys would like to follow and, and place that bet. We record this on Monday, man. Like, you got fighters. I know we covered the Frivola fight last week because we recorded the podcast early, and they pulled out. We already had Aspen Ladd pull out of the card this week. Like, we record this on Monday, guys. We still got all the fight week to go. We get to watch weigh-ins. Most people throw us their picks on Twitter, Facebook, whatever it may be. Fight day or Friday night. The hour so, before fight night. Right. We The hour before fight night. We are recording this at the beginning of the week. So, I mean, we're going to give our picks. Our consensus ain't going to change. Nope. That's, nope. that's in stone, like Roland said. If we like it, we're taking it Friday. That way the line doesn't move on us. Or whatever it may be. But uh, as far as the other picks, they might be subject to change after seeing the weigh-in or, you know, what, or a fighter miss weight. For, because right now, a lot of fighters are missing weight. Um, so that's another thing. So, yeah, take our consensus. You know, take that to the heart. But the other picks are strictly for, for the show. And I know I ended up switching my pick from Emmett to Burgos. And it screwed me in the contest. And now Roland is feeling all high and mighty because he's up decimals on me. But hey, it happens, all right? It happens. Hey, speaking of uh, Roland being up on you, let's go over that uh, Pecum contest. Yeah, because you know what? We, right we, we, don't, we don't have to get to the Raquel Pennington fight or our consensus winner, Bilal Muhammad, Justin, right? No, no, I just want to go over these points. Let's go oh, yeah, let's points. recap on the consensus plays before the contest. Okay. I got him right. up. Plays. But what what I know, but the consensus first, we, uh, one half of our consensus was that parlay of Roberts and Blades, which Roberts fell up short in, and then we also took Bala Muhammad straight up to beat Lyman Good, and damn, what a fight! That was a great talk, fight. Great talk fight. about sweating bullets, a little bit of extra pressure on us because it was the fight after Roosevelt Roberts busted our first consensus play. A lot of so pressure. All the pressure was on. Let's not go on to. Uh, let's pull this out below and damn bro. What a fight. I mean, I think it could have gone either way when I heard unanimous decision I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought it was going to Lyman good I even saw Bilal Muhammad close his eyes when he heard unanimous decision and I was like fuck He doesn't think that he got it Um, I, I like the way that he took down Lyman good at the end of the third round I counted. Sunk the hook secured his back. 
He wasn't able to finish the choke, but cardio, guys. Cardio, cardio, cardio. Um, cardio benefited us in that fight. Lyman Good was pushing forward most of the fight, but Bilal Muhammad, high IQ. Another reason why I mentioned that takedown, because that's the way you steal around. You take a guy, you get his back. That's a dominant position. In, in the third round, which I think Lyman Good was kind of piecing Bilal up. He never did drop him. Bilal's known to being dropped. But, man, I love the way he mixed it in. I like the way he didn't quit. I love the post-fight interview with the sunglasses. I mean, it, it was it was a good performance for Bilal Muhammad. I even like the call-out. He called out uh, Ponzinibbio. That's a good Another call dude who hasn't fought in a while, was in the top 10 rankings, uh, had surgery, hasn't fought in a while, but a legit fighter. So uh, thank you, Bilal Muhammad. For, it was one-on-one. One. We drank a little bit of juice. Our consensus now moves to three and three, 500. We have been leaning towards favorites, so that's why we are in the negative, but we're right there. We're right there. Not too far. Three and three, baby. Yeah. Um, so let me go over the contest picks now that I brought now that I brought up the Bilal Muhammad uh, win. So for the UFC contest, we had some, some movement in the standings, like I said. Um, first place rolling now. 26.35 points. Justin with 23 even. Myself, I've got 25.75. So I'm down on rolling by less than a point. Uh, Josh with 22.4. Gabby sneaking into the standings. I think that we just have to forget about her beating Mondo. I don't think that that's a competition anymore. Yeah, it's, it's over. And it's I, over. I think we got to worry about her taking over first place, bro. Yeah, I'm scared. I'm. I'm she's I'm in, she's in third of, place. Yeah. When does she? Where, how does she drop her picks? Is it on Twitter? Is it on Twitter. YouTube? Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, so, All right, I need to be so on the she, lookout for these. She had right. Jim Miller this week, and and that pick, that maybe. gave her a boost. Uh, the Jim Miller win. So she's now in third place, and I mean only point two, point two five points behind me for second. So. Uh, stuff's ramping up. Big John with 15.75. Mondo nice. with 21.25. Roland G with 12.8. Izzy with 13. Diego with 20.1. There you go, Diego. S Steven with 12.9. Rexa with 14.5. And like we said, the consensus 3 and 3 minus 1.8 units. There we go. So that's nice. the recap for our contest. We saw some movement. And, and you know we're 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 at the top. I I mean benefit of you know starting from the very beginning. But right. uh, just to point out, I, I think uh, Stephen has made some pretty big moves. Like he's only been involved for a few of the the, the cards, and I think he's gotten a couple correct. I think he called out Jim Miller too. I saw his he, card. He so. was on Jim Miller as yeah. well. Yeah, he's it like I think two cards in, and look at his numbers. Yeah. yeah. So anybody who still that. wants to get in, get in, man. Just get in yeah. at this point. And and we got we got uh, three cards coming up in a little over two weeks. We got three cards in one week, so we'll have some guest pickers and definitely you know, a, a probably a new number one. I'm not that confident that I'll be at number one through those three events. So yeah. we're we're gonna be picking at least twenty fights within the next three weeks. So th there's gonna be there's gonna be some movement on the leaderboards, and we're gonna have some guest pickers on the show. Uh, for sure for that June 11th card on Fight Island. Uh, I know we'll yeah. go over that the week prior, but we'll definitely have a guest picker for that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, there's not a lot of UFC quick hitters. Uh, there's only one I want to go over. Okay. And that's uh, with the Nevada's Athletic State Commission. They're going to begin to probe Max Rogue Shop's corner after this weekend. It was the first fight of the night. 
Max kept asking his corner to stop the fight, and the corner kept trying to get Max to continue. Um, and he just kept saying, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm, I'm over this, I don't want to do this no more. And his corner was like, no, you're a champion, you can keep going, you can do this, you can do this. And uh, yeah. I, ju- I just wanted to start with this one, and I wanted to say that I, I'm against his corner on this one. Uh, I think after the first 15 seconds of trying to convince the man to get back in the next round, if he's not ready, let it go. And I, I cannot, uh, I got to be consistent here because a month ago, when Anthony Smith was saying against Glover Teixeira, hey, I think my uh, teeth are falling out or whatever, I was against the corner pushing him to go back in when he's asking for quits. A fighter knows his body best, and as a coach, you got to protect that fighter. And it's just a little <laughs> upsetting to see that many times for him to say, I'm out, I'm done, I'm done. And yeah. he's still sitting on the chair. Call it for your guy, man. Call it for your yeah. guy. Yeah. Let me set this up a bit. So, like like Justin said, this was the curtain jerker on the fight. Uh, this dude, Max, I'm not going to even attempt to say his last name uh, right now. But he was called up on 10 days notice. Uh, the guy was a wrestler at NC State, ACC champion at NC State, 5-0 and uh, in MMA. Now his UFC debut. This was his first UFC fight. Like Justin said previously, we've talked about Anthony Pettis and how Duke Rufus called the fight again, called the fight. Anthony Smith. No, no, no. Anthony Pettis against Tony Ferguson. Remember? Yeah, but how Anthony Duke Smith Rufus, and Glover Teixeira also. I understand that one, but okay. I'm saying when you know your fighter. Oh yeah. In the way, in the way that Duke Rufus threw in the towel for Anthony Pettis, because Pettis said, "Hey, my hand's broken." If, if it was or it wasn't, he knew Pettis couldn't go anymore. This kid was five and zero, bro. How long has that team really been with him? How long do they know him? Now was the kid was the kid like had he been dropped in the fight? No, he hadn't been dropped. Had he been severely hurt in the fight? No, he hadn't. But the dude's a wrestler and he was getting punched in the face a lot. He got an early takedown in the first round and Hubbard was able to get up. It kind of looked like it broke the dude's will. Like, hey, when I take you down, people usually don't get up. When I've been fighting in the regional scene, people usually don't get up. When I take you down, that's the point where I tap you. Hubbard who is a journeyman in the UFC, not the best of UFC fighters, bro. He was an underdog to this guy making his UFC debut, and the dude was a two-to-one favorite. Hubbard isn't that good. This dude got a reality check, man. This isn't wrestling. It's MMA, and you're going to get punched in the face here. Some people get punched in the face, and they don't like it. Like Justin said, as soon as the second round ended, the dude walked to his corner. He looked gassed. He was just... A punching bag for most of the second round. Like I said, he hadn't been dropped. He wasn't even taking punches. He wasn't hurt as bad as Ferguson was in his fight, where we said maybe his corner should have called it. But physically, the dude was gassed. He was gassed. He he did not have 15 minutes in him. Today, his coach went on the Ariel Hawani show. Ariel Hawani was very critical of the coach and forcing him. The coach said... He, he was trying to get him back in the fight. He was trying to wake him up. You know, the fighter obviously knew that he had nothing left in the tank. So Hawani was very critical of the coach. He had the coach on there today. The coach doubled down. He said, hey, man, I was trying to get him up. I knew that if he quit, it was something that he was going to regret. That coach has coached many other UFC fighters. This was this kid's debut. Another guy in his corner was Francis Naganu's striking coach. 
uh, the dude with the with the long dreads. Dewey. So, yeah, and there was a lot of hype behind this kid. Even Dana said in his presser, his manager kept calling me, telling me he's the one. He's the one. The next biggest because, thing. Because of his credentials in wrestling, and the ACC isn't that bad at wrestling. So, the coach again said today that the dude regretted it. He regretted quitting. He regretted the way he did it. And you got a feel for the guy, man. He wasn't going to win the fight, and he was probably going to get stopped in that third round. Uh, there was no way that he was going to come back and win the fight just because he was mentally checked out. The coach said he was never really hurt. He was never really in danger. But if the guy's not throwing, I mean, he's in danger, bro. If he's just a punching bag. No, he hadn't been dropped. No, his eyeball wasn't popping out of his eye or his teeth weren't falling out. But the guy had nothing left in him. I think it's a very tricky subject. Honestly, I don't expect to see that guy fight again in the UFC just based off the comments that Dana White made about him. He also did say nobody should be judging him if you're not in there. If you're not in there, you shouldn't be judging a guy on quitting because he went in there. They locked the cage for 10 minutes and he went 10 minutes with the guy. Now, if he can't finish the last round, then, hey, bro, get out of there because the sport doesn't want a death happening in there. Worst case scenario, or somebody getting bad brain damage and your career just cut shorter because you're taking an ass whooping that you don't have to take. So, yeah, I think the coach should have stopped the fight when his fighter said that he should have. But I also kind of understand him trying to psych him up and get him mentally back in the fight. I will say great job by the referee because he overheard it and he went to the corner and he asked the fighter himself, do you want to continue? He didn't ask the coach. Simply the fighter. As soon as the fighter said, no, sir, that's it. The referee called it. So tricky subject. It wasn't handled the best. And that coach is receiving a lot of backlash. But just another example that we see of whether you should throw in the towel or not. I don't think it was the referee, actually. I think it was somebody from the athletic commission that did it. Well, I, the referee. Yeah, it was whoever was near the corner. Yeah, I somebody, saw it. Somebody near overheard the conversation. They, they overheard yeah. it. They yeah. overheard it because the fight wasn't going to be stopped. And it wasn't coach, even the, the coach that called it. It, it was, right. a, was, a, the, it was the, the fighter. fighter. Yeah. It was, it was and, a minute mark and the dude's still not up off his chair. And a right. lot of it, you know, it, it just looked bad because, again, there's no fans. So you hear the conversation directly. Exactly. I know we, we normally hear, hear the conversations, but it's just a lot more clear. And everybody is paying attention to that now that we know that those conversations are available to us without there being any fans. So that is a very, very um, important part of the fight now. I think um, fans are looking forward to what the coaches are saying in the corner, and the broadcast is always mentioning what they're talking about in the corner uh, in between rounds. So um, I think it looked very bad. Um, I, I kind of, again, when this whole topic was brought up with Anthony Smith, I said, I'm uh, I'm on the fence here. I'm sorry, but it's a case-by-case. Case. you got to know your, your fighter kind of a deal. Um, but... Now that Ben uh, mentioned the whole Ariel Hawani thing, and I, I wasn't privy to that. I did not listen to the, the podcast today, but um, now that he mentioned that the coach said that um, the fighter felt bad about it, so that means that the coach kind of knew what the fighter was talking about or, and, and kind of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to avoid in terms of trying to prevent his fighter from feeling regretful the next day for, for throwing in the towel. But again, as Ben ended his point, and again, I'm going to have to agree here, it's like, if your guy is telling you that I don't want it, I don't have it, or whatever, as uh, Max was saying, I think that's his first name. Again, I'm yeah. not going to try and pronounce his last. Um, 
then just throw it in, man. Like, just listen to your fighter. There's no need to go and risk serious um, injury or, or anything like that. And so I'm never going to judge a, fi- a fighter for throwing in the card because, again, as Dana White said, I have no business talking about that as far as who's in the ring and actually taking and inflicting that damage. You know, it's one thing to be on the sideline talking about it. It's another thing to be in there and actually getting your face punched in. So, I mean... Max has, I, I don't think, anything to feel bad about. I think he does have some soul-searching to do because any time that something like that happens and you're in a profession like that, you, you do have to consider if that's the right sport for you in, in, in the long run and, and if that's something that you're really going to want to go forward with, um, especially with it being your UFC debut and you being so early on in your career. I do think you have to do a little bit of soul-searching. I don't think this will be the last that we see of him. I think the main thing in all of this is he took the fight on short notice. It was a 10-day fight um, with all the circumstances. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he probably wasn't in his best shape. And that's why he was so gassed out or whatever um, going into that that round or in between rounds where he ended up calling it. But, but yeah, I, I'm not passing any judgment. I, I think the... The coach was trying to keep his his fighter motivated, trying to get him out for the next round, and he knew that his fighter was going to feel regretful, which he ended up doing. So n- no blame on the coach. It, it looked really, really, really bad, but I think he was just trying to do right by his fighter, and he obviously knew his fighter if, it, if he truthfully felt regretful today. So um, I think it's a case-by-case thing, um, but, but yeah, it, it's just... If he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it that day. But I'm not one to judge. Um, I know there, there's another UFC fighter out there. We're about to get into the, the fight night breakdown that, that had a, a comment on Twitter um, calling him uh, made of marshmallows or something like that, saying he had no place. I think I'm talking about Dan Hooker uh, quoted a video of, of Max, uh, you know, pretty much telling his coach to throw in the towel and just laughing at him pretty much. I thought that was a pretty bad in taste, but it was from another fighter. So I, I guess he has that right, if you will, to call somebody else out. But I just thought it was bad in taste um, and, and with the whole situation that was at hand. And, and then knowing the serious situation with Anthony Smith and, and prior fights b- before that. Yeah, um, a couple of just quick things that I want to touch on before we get into the three fights that we're going to cover for this Saturday's card. Um, the payouts, uh, the bonuses, um, what James, what, what Justin James Dude, I, I know Roland said, hey, man, uh, Max took the fight on 10 days notice. This dude, uh, Justin James, took the fight on one day notice, <laughs> stepped in for Matt Frivola and fought Frank Camacho. And, I mean, the dude went in there and fought like a guy that came in on one day notice. Hey, I got five minutes in me. I'm going to go straight forward. He caught Camacho. He got Camacho out of there. And he got a $50,000 bonus in his debut. The dude was nice. making 12 and 12. So 12 to show up, 12 to win. He made 24,000. Tack on another 50. He made 74,000 in his UFC debut. Hell and yeah. After something like that, if you get your performance in your debut, you're going to be on the roster. So he shored himself up a spot on the UFC roster and made $74,000. Another thing, Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett in his post-fight interview uh, took exception to a lot of the MMA media and I guess Shane Burgos was making some rounds, some media rounds before the fight. I know he did an interview with John Anik, a one-on-one that was released on ESPN.com. Um, so Josh Emmett kind of took a shot at all the MMA media 
saying, I know all of you had Burgos. I know all of you were wanting to push Burgos. It was written off, yeah. Yeah, and on Sunday, <clears throat> in listening to the Anik and Florian podcast today, and for Anik to bring this up, he was really bothered by it. But he said on Sunday, he stays at the Fighter Hotel with all the other announcers. Uh, Josh Emmett, one of his corner men, Rodriguez, his coach, came up to him and said, hey, sorry about Shane Burgos losing. I know that's not the way you saw it. So kind of throwing shade at John Anik, and John Anik was pretty bothered by it just because in on his own podcast, he has a guest picker come on and make picks in in place of him. You know, it's the Anik. Because he can't pick it, yeah. Because because yeah. he can't pick because he calls the fights. Yeah. So Kenny Florian has his picks, and somebody comes on and picks on the part of John Anik, and at the end of the year, wh whoever wins, whoever loses has to pay out or whatever. But John Attic never even makes picks. And for Josh Emmett's cornerman to kind of go up to him and say, you know, kind of a uh, just it, it just it wasn't needed to tell him, hey, I'm sorry, Shane Burgos lost as if John Anik had a stock in Burgos or. If yeah, no, I, I think it's a, Burgos. I, I think it's for sure a little overboard, but I don't I don't think this, that's that's there's anything wrong with that at all. I, I, I do think it's a little overboard, but. Man, if you're a fighter, you're often in, in your camp. It's everybody. It's us against the world. Like, and, and that's what they said. And especially if they're writing you off. And I heard a lot of, um, what what's that? The the phrase that we like to call out for these older guys, uh, gatekeeper. I heard a lot of gatekeeper talk about Josh Emmett and and listening to Josh Emmett and the little pre-fights that they do for the these um, USC events uh, in the lead up to the actual fight. Um, he was just talking about hey i know everybody thinks i'm a gatekeeper but that's not what i have planned for myself i think i have another run in me so yeah it's a, a, me against the world so yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with it especially if he got that sense but roland but it wasn't even him it was his cornerman like to a yeah, ufc but, announcer but it was somebody in his camp sides. that em i know i know but i'm saying if emmett got he that taste and and everybody is in the camp with him of course they're going to take that same a uh, feeling that Emmett has, and it's like, hey man, sorry that our guy beat the guy that you were uh, touting or that you were backing or whatever. I, I think that's fair game. Um, Anik does not strike me as a guy that would do that because, again, he has to stay unbiased because he's calling these fights, and that's just the way that the rules work. And Anik is a stand up guy. But, again, like I said, if he feels like it's us against the world and that's somebody in the world that they're against, then fuck it. Uh, I'm going to go and talk shit to you or whatever because I just knocked out your boy, your perceived well, but, boy, whether or not that he is. But you can't say I knocked out your boy when the dude's from New York. John Anik's from Boston. He fucking hates everything about New York, bro. I don't I, know. It's, it's I like John Anik. Anik. I, I but like it's John not Anik. even Josh Emmett. Like, it's his cornerman. It was uncalled for. Um... I and like for, for John Anik, just John Anik said, I went, I even went back and listened to the broadcast and tried to see if I was being, you know, one sided towards a Burgos. Well, I, I haven't listened to it. So it I, seems I like John Anik takes steady. this very serious. Well, to I make mean, sure yeah. he's uh, even kill on these fights. It, yeah, because because there's a difference between Rogan and Anik, bro. Like, <laughs> Joe Rogan is very. He, he kind of plays sides, and if a fighter's been on his podcast, he'll kind of favor that fighter, or if he likes the style of martial arts that they play. But John Anik is pretty down the middle, bro. He is. Yeah, he's he is. A, he, a, a real cool dude, so... A professional. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, he's very professional. 
So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up. Well, I uh, actually had uh, a little bit more. Uh, okay. With the Max Rosecop thing, I'm with Roland. I think we do see him again on a Tuesday night on a Dana White Contender Series fight. That's where we'll see him. Just because there is a lot of hype behind the kid. It was a one-off thing where he was mentally ready. This doesn't kill the hype? This doesn't kill it, the hype for a Tuesday night. Hurt, it hurts it, but you can he's going to get in. another chance. Yeah, they, yeah. they need fighters anyway for those Tuesday nights. And speaking of Dana White's Tuesday night contender shout series, out, shout out. I want to give a shout-out to a local fighter, uh, Luke, who's going to be on there trying to get a contract. Uh, man, this podcast, we're all behind you. Uh, we hope you get this win, man. We really do. Good luck. Yeah. Good I luck. know I, I briefly brought it up that Matt Frivola actually fought Luke on the Dana White Contender Series two years ago to see who got on, and they were actually the main event for that Tuesday night card. So uh, Luke, shout out to Luke, man. He's opening up his own uh, martial arts school down in the Valley, and uh, he posted a picture last week of him signing the contract. So like we mentioned, Dana White Contender Series will still be going on. And he said that he was going to be fighting, I believe, in late August. Um, he was going to be fighting, hopefully, to get a UFC contract. So, man, we'll be pulling for him, and we'll keep everybody updated with that. As the fight gets nearer, we'll be keeping everyone updated and, and uh, getting close to that. Maybe we can do a live situation where we, we watch the fight live together. Yeah, that would uh, be dope. You know, something like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's it for UFC Quick Hitters. Uh, let's get into this weekend's card. Uh, this is the yeah. last fight card at the Apex. So yeah. after Before this they go to fight, island. fight Island, Roland, I think I was wrong about Fight Island. Uh, I don't think there's fans after all. There's I, not. Okay. I, yeah, but they I, are going back to the larger octagon, right? Or the yeah, normal yeah. size octagon. But don't okay. quote me on the fan situation. I just don't think there is. But, okay. but don't don't call me on that for sure. But Ben, uh, Ben Rogan. Do your thing. Let's hear. Uh, let's hear these cards. I don't want to hear that. I, yeah, I don't got a baldy. Don't be calling me Ben Rogan. Right? Doctor Saucy had a nickname. I had to give you something, man. I had to do something. Yeah, but nah. But this weekend we got uh, fights on ESPN, and uh, two of the main two of the fights on the main card have actually been pulled um, due to just opponents being pulled. So this week we're going light. We're only going three fights deep. Um, then we're going to have a one-week break, and then we're on for Fight Island, where we're going to be picking about seven or eight fights, and we're going to actually have three fight cards that same week. Um, so we're going to go light into it the break, a busy week. and then we'll pick up, yeah, in two weeks. So starting off, uh, UFC Fight Night, man, we got Dan. I'm just going to go from the main event. We're going to do three fights on the main event. We got Dan the Hangman Hooker with a 20-8 and record against Dustin the Diamond Poirier with a 25-6 and record. Uh, Poirier is a minus 200 favorite. The comeback on the Hangman Hooker is plus 160. Um, I mean, we're all pretty well versed with Dustin Poirier. We know that he won the interim title uh, last year against Max Holloway in a fight that Max, Max Holloway moved up to 155 to fight Poirier, and he just couldn't he couldn't take the power of the 155. Couldn't deal with the power. Yeah, um, he didn't get knocked out or anything. It was a decision, but Poirier kind of dominated that fight. And honestly, Poirier's dominated pretty much his whole UFC career, man. Aside from two losses to McGregor, a loss to Khabib. He doesn't have very many losses in there. Michael Johnson loss in the Valley. That, that Michael Johnson one was a bad one. And I mean, he got caught in the first round. That was at the in Hidalgo, like Justin said, in the Valley. Um, but yeah, he's coming into this fight after losing to Khabib for the title um, in September. 
So he's almost going on a year. I know that he did have a surgery after that Khabib fight. He's been healing. Uh, Dustin Poirier trains out of ATT. Um, he won five in a row prior to getting that title shot, man. And we're talking about wins against Eddie Alvarez, wins against Justin Gaethje. Um, he was beating the who's who of fighters. Um, he, great stand-up, and he has power for this division. That's what I think is the difference. I think he's one of the more powerful strikers yeah. in the 155 division, and especially in the top five. Uh, I would say probably him and McGregor. I know that he does have two losses to McGregor, one very early in his career and then one in the middle of his career. But I expect this fight to take place standing up. I expect Dustin Poirier to be comfortable uh, standing up. Dan Hooker, on the other hand, uh, he trains out of city kickboxing over there with with our he trains with, with Izzy with Izzy Adesanya in them. That yeah, guy that trains with Izzy. Seven and two record in the UFC for uh, Dan Hooker. A pretty good record in the UFC, uh, and he has some pretty notable wins. He's beat Gilbert Burns, James Vick. We talked about that split decision win over Paul Felder. He has a win over Aya Quinta. His two losses are to Knight and Barboza. That Brandon Knight fight was, I believe, his UFC debut, and he got taken down, and Knight won a decision against Barboza, man. It was a step up in competition for Hooker, and Barboza, Barboza folded him, bro. Barboza was working the body. Dan Hooker's a tall guy. He is going to have the reach advantage on Dustin Poirier. He looks to stand as well. Um, but in this one, I, give me the diamond to get back on track. I know that he's itching to get back in the ring after that loss and tapping out to Khabib. Um, so I see, I see Dustin Poirier winning this fight here. And like I predicted earlier, I think Tony Ferguson gets the winner of this fight, man. Tony Ferguson on Instagram has been looking like he's been training and ready to get back. So I think uh, Poirier wins this fight and he fights um, Tony Ferguson after. Just uh, so you know, uh, Poirier and McGregor have only fought once. Well, okay. Well, was there okay. a buildup to the second time? No. McGregor, no, tore, McGregor no. tore his ACL early in his career and beat Dustin Poirier. Yeah, with the torn ACL. Uh, uh, Poirier's lost to like Bob Swanson, the Korean zombie. I think I think McGregor knocked out Poirier, bro. Yeah, the one no, fight. He did. He one did. fight. But, fight. but I thought that was the torn ACL was when he took him down, and I thought it was like one of McGregor's first fights in the UFC. No, uh, Poirier's losses come to Cub Swanson, Korean zombie. Michael Johnson, Khabib, and uh, I think that's it. Connor. And Connor. All right. What do you got rolling for this fight? Uh, this one, I mean, it's pretty easy for me. I, I like Dustin Poirier. This fight's going to take, uh, take place standing up, and I think he's the, the more solid striker. Uh, the last time out uh, that I saw Dan Hooker, I was not very impressed uh, with him. We were talking about that a little bit pre-production. I, I was not impressed at all. Uh, with his performance against uh, Paul Felder. I personally had Dan Hooker in that fight, and it was one of those fights that I was just praying that uh, uh, the judges would see it my way or, or judge the fight in, in favor of, of my bet, and it ended up going that way. But I did not feel very confident in that Hooker pick at all. Um, again, I, I think Poirier is the, the more solid striker. That's where the fight's going to take place. Um, Hooker, I don't think he's going to offer much trouble to Poirier. Maybe he comes at him a, a couple of different angles. He, he's a pretty unorthodox striker in the way he comes at you. Uh, but I, I don't think it's anything that Poirier is going to have trouble handling. 
Um, as Ben mentioned, he's hungry to get back in there. He had been itching to get back in there. He was almost asking anybody that was active that, that wanted to fight that was towards the top. Like he was trying to get Nate Diaz to get in there with him. He called out Connor a couple times. Uh, so uh, Dustin's eager to get back in there. So I think he's going to make this one pretty easy. Um, I see him uh, finishing the fight in the second round. All right. Yeah, Dustin's a good uh, lightweight now. Uh, he really took the time to change his body and his frame to fit the lightweight mold because he doesn't look what he looked like when he was a featherweight at all. Uh, and that's what has helped him with the power. I think if he were to fight Holloway again, Holloway needs to take the time to get his body bigger because Dustin looked a lot bigger than Holloway did fight night. Then when they fought each other at the featherweight time, they looked like they were almost the same frame then. Yeah. Uh, with Hooker, I do like uh, Hooker's stand-up, and I liked his length. But before, uh, like Roland mentioned, when we were in pre-production, I looked at um, Poirier's losses, and I was like, hey, this kid has no back-to-back -back losses. I don't expect a, a guy who's hungry, who wants to get back into the, to the thick of things and without back-to-back -back losses to lose here. And uh, I'm going to go with Poirier to get this win here. Um, and uh, if I had to call it, I think Poirier can stop him. All right. I agree. Uh, next up, Mickey Gall. Six and two record against Mike Platinum Perry with an 11 and six record. Mike Perry is a minus 146 favorite. The comeback on Mickey Gall is plus 124. Um, Perry coming in off back-to-back -back losses against Luke and Jeff Neal. Perry's pretty much a stand-up guy, looks to brawl. Uh, he's from, look, I've been, I'm going to keep the theme going. I keep saying in Florida, shit's wild, and Mike Perry is from Florida, and he definition. is wild. He, definition. Is, he is Florida. He is a definition of Florida. Hey, uh, just because just you said that, have you all ever looked up Florida man in the news and see what comes out? Bro, I'd rather not. Is well, Mike the reason Perry why like I'm saying that is I'm surprised Mike Perry's not under that Florida man list. Because uh, people in Florida are wild. Sure there's <laughs> some crazy stuff if you look that up. Yeah. But, yeah, Mike Perry, man, he's really never in a boring fight unless he gets taken down to the ground. The dude loves, loves damage. And he'll take a punch to give a punch. Now, in this fight, his opponent, Mickey Gall, Mickey Gall comes in with a 6-2 and two record. He's known as the guy who called out CM Punk, <laughs> beat CM Punk. Like, Mickey Gall, he beat Sage Northcutt. I mean, he's got a couple of wins on his UFC record. Nothing Not very really good wins. Diego Sanchez so, handed him. Yeah, Diego Sanchez beat him by TKO. That's all y'all need to know. So, yeah, man, I, I'm just going to go with Perry here. I expect Perry to get him out of here pretty quick. Yeah, I'm not very impressed with uh, Mickey Gall's uh, past um, in terms of who he's uh, reeled victories off against. And uh, the last time that I actually watched one of his fights, it was that loss against Diego Sanchez. So um, I got Mike Perry here. The only reason why I'm not like super confident in the pick and wouldn't kind of recommend it for betting is because of his coaching situation. Um, I don't know who his coach is his right now. Is it his girlfriend? Is it his girlfriend? <laughs> Who who also I I don't mean to take a dig, but I think she might be in high school, bro. <laughs> I'm serious. Look at that She's Instagram. Young. It's it's, it's a little different. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree a little bit. I don't know about the high school thing, but <laughs> if that's who is the only person that's going to be in Mike Perry's corner, that <laughs> does give me a little bit of concern. But just based on who's fighting, give me Mike Perry, baby. Let's go. Oh, man. Mike Perry hasn't had a boring fight yet. Uh, arguably, Mickey Gow's best fight is against CM Punk, and you know who that how that went, and who's CM Punk now as far as the UFC goes. I mean, kudos to jumping over and, and from the wrestling world. That's tough and all, but you know he wasn't at the level or already enough. Um, and then just seeing uh, Gal against Diego Sanchez, I mean, Diego was you know ragdolling him a little bit on the floor and, and doing what he wanted. The only X factor like um, Roland brings up, man, no coach. And I've been watching his Instagram videos. Uh, shout out to my cousin Mike. Who is absolutely fascinated with uh, Mike Perry's Instagram? He sends me videos uh, like every day, and the, and these are quality videos because you're just thinking afterwards, what's going on through the mind of Mike Perry at the moment? There's one, and I and, and from the I videos he, he sent me, there hasn't been any coaching in any of them. It's just him in a bag, and he's training him in a bag. Like no Dude, coaches. Hey, I don't think he's without. Call. Mickey Gall's pretty much a bag, bro. Yeah. Like he doesn't throw punches. He's just gonna try and wrestle Mike Perry. And it might you don't need much coaching here, Mike Perry. Yeah. Stay standing up. That's <laughs> I it. hope the only person that shows up by his side is his girlfriend. Yeah. I really do. And, and, <laughs> I want to uh, see. You know what? This is kind of interesting for me because I remember the whole situation with Cerrone and Perry fighting over the gym, and 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 he was yeah. upset Cerrone because they were taking Perry's side and and. Uh, this is uh, John Jones' um, team, uh, Jackson MMA, Jackson Wink. So just to know that I guess Perry's no longer with Jackson Wink or anything like that anymore either. Man, it's just a weird situation for Perry. He left right after that fight, bro. Right yeah. after the Cowboy fight. And the thing is, though, like, Cerrone did just have to take him down to the ground, and then he caught him with the arm bar. Yeah. That is Mickey Gall's specialty. Another fight where it's – you're either going to take Mike Perry – in a parlay, possibly due to the odds, or just take Mickey Gall by submission for half of it. Yeah. And you're covered either way because the only way Mickey Gall will win is by submission. Kind of like we said about Jim Miller. Had we, like, if that's the only way for Jim Miller to win, put a little bit on Jim Miller by sub if it's plus 500, plus 600. So that's a way that I guess we can hedge kind of our consensus picks. Because we did have Roberts and Blades. Had we put a little bit on Miller by sub due to it being the only way he could win, it would have outshadowed the parlay. So this is another situation where it's either going to be Perry or it's going to be Gall by sub. But that's the only way that it's going to go. Yeah, we'll just to no make hedging. my pick, though, be no hedging. I think it's going to be Perry. Uh, that boxing background is going to help him. Uh, even though he tends to just start brawling, he actually has a pretty good boxing background, amateur background, does. if you look at it. Uh, and I expect him to stand up, and hopefully his girlfriend can give him the right cornering <laughs> and the right advice to get Guys. this done. Guys, and, and just because, just with how much I'm comparing this fight to the Miller fight, y'all want to know where where, uh, you have the odds? Mickey Gall, where Mickey Gall trains? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Do a Rufus Sport, no? No. Um, a Team Alpha Male. No. I don't know. He trains at Jim Miller Brothers oh, MMA. Oh, wow. 
He trains at Jim Miller. There, there's he, an arm bar. On, his only route is by sub. Listen, there's listen. Submission coming. Harry, look for that prop of there's goal by sub. Coming. Hey, but, but, but was that his original team? Because I feel like he oh, trained somewhere else. It was. Yeah, he was training with uh, Schilling, the the Bellator guy. Yeah, Schilling. Okay. Yeah. Because he even went on the Joe Rogan podcast with Schilling. Uh, and they would kind of just said we just go around training and shit. But Schilling's a badass striking. I don't know why Mickey Gall didn't learn shit from him. Um, <laughs> but the dude is pretty PG uh, striking, so I expect I expect Perry take him out. Florida jit. And the last fight, just real quick, we got John Vellante plus one forty against Maurice Green minus one seventy. Two dudes that are pretty much over the hill. Used to be two hundred five fighters. Now moving up to heavyweight, man. Listen, I'll never pick John Vellante to win a fight ever. The dude is so done, and I know that we've been. I've I've mentioned that I've been riding the Sarah Longo train, and John Vellante does train out of there. But Marab and Funkmaster, I mean, they're young guys. This dude is washed up and done. So I'm gonna take Maurice Green here. Yeah, for all the pen, the points that Ben said, and I'm not going to act like I'm very well versed on Gian Vellante or Maurice Green, so I'm just going to stick with the chalk here, and I'm, I'm going Maurice Green. I'm not taking any chances. I'm going to protect my lead on this one. So if you've noticed, Ben and I have all the same picks this week, so oh, it looks like I I'm going to be I might change some things with that. <laughs> That's right. It's subject to change. It's going to be Mickey Galbar armbar is what he's going to change. <laughs> Hell no, that won't be the fight I change. I guarantee you that. It'll be this Vellante one, if anything. Yeah, uh, Maurice Green, he's a <laughs> A tough alum. He, I think he was on the last season of Tough. And the, the kid was a little weird, man. He was uh, he had a little bit of a drinking issue and a partying issue yeah. before fights. And um, I don't want to make fun of him, but I want to say the dude has like a lazy eye going on. I don't know if you noticed when he would do his confessionals, like he, his eyes would look a different way. And But I don't think that's going to matter. I'm just bringing that up for the sake of bringing that up, I guess. <laughs> just to um, hate. Just not to hate because I'm actually going to pull from Maurice Green. Uh, it's, it's a nice he's, a, he's the actual antidote. heavyweight here, John Vellante. He's a light heavyweight coming up to heavyweight. So Maurice Green's comfortable in this position. He knows he got the power. I think he'll knock out uh, John Vellante within those three rounds. Yeah. And the undercard might be sorted out. Like we said, a couple of fighters pulled out. Um, we had Brendan Allen against Ian Heinish, who Heinish fought like two weeks ago, took no damage against Mearshart, and he was here to get back in. But for some reason, he pulled out. I know Aspen Ladd's opponent pulled out. Pulled out. No, so Aspen just, Ladd got hurt. Oh, she got hurt. Aspen Ladd got hurt. I think she tore her ACL. She's out for nine months is what they're expecting, and they couldn't replace her. My point was keep an eye yeah, on the Twitter. Ahead. We have a consensus. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not going to promise you that we'll have a consensus, but maybe we'll throw a little parlay together. Um, so, yeah, just keep an eye on that. Or we'll get it to Facebook, too, if it's on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter and right. Facebook. Twitter so if whoever wants to look at those uh, social medias will be on there. Yeah. And maybe we'll start up an Instagram soon with post, just posting and, pics. And also, yeah. shout out shout out to uh, our buddy Ron, man. He was actually on, on yes. a podcast yeah, down in the about valley. That. A big-time podcast. I mean, his dad is uh, a legend as far as radio goes in the valley, man. And rock and roll rock James. And roll James. Uh, John did, uh, Ron did go on his podcast, shouted us out. Yeah, shout, shout out, out we talking about sports so i mean we appreciate that uh, we all watch that podcast shout out ron and fish his sister shout out yeah and ron's a dude who watches a podcast every week also gives us a little input kind of gave us the hint about dropping in segments so that's why you all saw a little switch up 
And uh, it this, worked. Yeah. We dropped we dropped in segments instead of one big ass two hour and forty five minute podcast. So yeah, Ronnie man, Maserati. Shout the out. input and we appreciate the shout out from Ron. Yeah, shout out Ron for the for the plug. I appreciate that, man. All right. Anybody else got any other UFC uh topics they want to bring up or last minute things that we talked about that you didn't get your input on? Nope. All right. Well, that's okay. it for UFC, guys. Uh, we're looking forward to these uh, Fight Island cards coming up. Uh, it's going to be real hectic, those cards. Like Let's they said, Max. we'll have somebody on uh, for the pay-per-view card. And uh, we'll probably have to drop uh, one big UFC podcast just because there's three within one week alone. So yeah. look forward to that, guys. We'll, we'll get with I'm going to be in the Valley uh, for that Fight Island card, so maybe we can link up Justin. And if Roland gets down there as well, but we'll I'll for sure be in the Valley that weekend. All right, man. We got NFL quick hitters. Uh, some sad news coming out of USC in the NFL. Old lineman uh, Max Turk. Is that how you say it, Roland? Turk? Yeah, Max Turk. Yeah. 26 years old. He passed away, man. Uh, yeah, the cause of death unknown, right? Yeah. And, man, just, you know, shout out to his family. Hope you all are okay. And, uh, you know, it's a sad Young. situation. <laughs> Yeah, 26 years old, man. Got to touch on it, you know, real quick. Just rest in peace, uh, Max Turk. I mean, he was a well-known uh, college offensive lineman at USC. Um, I don't think his NFL career uh, was uh, is celebrated, I guess, but that doesn't, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, rest in peace. Uh, cause of death is unknown. Uh, hope his family is doing well. Another thing, Dallas Godert, uh tight end for the Eagles, was sucker punched, and this was in South Dakota, if uh, Dallas Goddard, I believe he's a South Dakota Goddard. alum, right? Goddard? He was uh, wow. part of that team of South Dakota State? or I'm not sure how I he ended up South there. Dakota is Carson Wentz. So he's North Dakota State. Oh, uh, North Dakota State. My bad. And, uh, and you're right, though. He was South Dakota State. He he is from he is a South Dakota native also. Yeah, that's what I thought. From yeah. Britain, South Dakota. Yeah. So he's, he's in his home, home state getting sucker punch. What's going on? The video was pretty bleak and, and nasty, actually. I mean, you see him um, holding off or trying to restrain one guy, and then out of nowhere, like the headline says, he gets sucker punched into another dimension. Like, he just completely just went lights out unconscious, had to be rushed to the hospital. Thank goodness he's okay. I've yet and to see apparently, the video. And apparently the perpetrator... Uh, got arrested today, and and they're working on pressing charges on him. Just it's just a nasty, nasty event. Thankfully, Dallas Goddard's all right. Send me Probably that video. Cowboys. I just want to see what happened. Probably a Cowboys fan. Nobody Sorry. wearing masks in that bar, though. It was at a bar. I hate to see. Yeah, that. it was at a bar. It was at a bar in South Dakota. They said it was a restaurant, but if you look at the video, clearly a bar. All right. Well, um, the Dallas Cowboys today, as of today. Ooh. Got the uh, their quarterback, their QB one to uh, sign that franchise tender. I believe it's thirty one point seven million for this year yep. alone. Uh, and so Dak Prescott is going to be a Cowboy this year. Uh, I guess the holdout's over. Um, we're gonna we're gonna see him play. Uh, I guess it's a little bit. Uh, I think he might have some of the leverage here because I heard that uh, next year's salary cap goes up twenty percent. And he'd be at thirty-seven mil if they don't work the out a deal tag. for the franchise tag. Yeah. If they don't work out a deal, 
So it's almost it, to their his benefit of the team to work out a deal this year for him. It, it makes complete sense because if you were to gauge where he'd be at this year in terms of his contract, the number that was being thrown out there was about $35 million. I know the crazy number, which I don't believe, that was being thrown out there was 40 but look, guys, and I said it a couple of podcasts ago, when it comes down to this uh, contract negotiation, it all comes down to the length of the contract. Uh, uh, Dak wants four years. Dallas wants five. That's really all that it comes down to. Uh, Dak wants to be able to reset for another contract sooner rather than later. And the Cowboys want to add an extra year or two to his contract in, in terms of a fifth year and, and possibly having control over that, that number six. Uh, so that's really where it all comes down to. I think Justin brought up a good point. Um, it behooves uh, the Cowboys to get a deal done because if they do want to keep Dak Prescott and they're still not con- uh, confident in a long-term deal with him, then they're looking at a tag for another year at a hefty price of about $37 million, maybe 38 And then, I, I mean, come on, just pay the freaking guy at that point if you're going to be doing that um, for the franchise tag. But it's a good thing, I think, for, the, for Dak Prescott. It, it solidifies that he is going to show up at training camp day one. He's going to be there. It doesn't mean that a long-term deal is imminent. That's still yet to be seen. They still got to work those things out. But at least we know Dak Prescott, he's going to show up day one. The Cowboys have a pretty good squad in terms of it, the weapons that are there and, and them being pretty top-heavy. They have some pretty talented guys. So let's give this a good run. We know we have our guy, and let's see what happens. As far as length of contract rolling and getting the next deal signed, what do you all see? Uh, th- th- when do you see that happening? Mid-season, end of the season? Do the sure. Cowboys are going to, you know, play this whole okay. right, why, why, why would they do it mid-season if he missed the playoffs last year? You're going to sign him. A, you're going to sign him to a big deal mid-season, and if he's doing good, I'm asking when do you when do you foresee the signing of a big contract? Uh, I think I think you're right, Justin. I think it would come in sometime during the season. They're obviously not going to get it done. I think they got it done now because. They don't think that they're going to get to a, an agreement, but I'm getting confidence that the number, I think, is solidified between the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, whatever that may be. It just really all comes down to the length of the contract and, and the four versus five and, and who's going to budge on that. And so um, if that's the, the true, true deal breaker for Dak, I don't see why the Cowboys don't lessen up and, and just do the four years for him at, at an agreed-upon number. So I do see this deal getting done eventually. I think it's going to be done midseason once the Cowboys get off to a great start. Yeah, like that three and zero start they got off to last year and ended up eight and eight. Yeah, sign him after a three and zero start and and end up the contract got signed. You know why it got signed? Because there might not be an NFL season, and if the tag is signed, Dak's still going to get paid. What's he going to hold out? He's going to hold out for a season that might not happen. Um, I think Dak was smart. I think his agent was smart, a lot smarter than Zeke's agent. Well, and Zeke said, still got hey, paid though. No, he Zeke got, paid. got paid. Yeah, no, for sure. But he didn't hold out during Corona. I mean, we're we're not one hundred percent sure that there's going to be an NFL season. If there's not an NFL season, and Dak was holding out, is Dak going to get paid anything? If there if there's not an NFL season and Dak signs the franchise tag, is he going to get his franchise money? Yes. Um, personally, me, I think that it was just a smart move by Dak. The best thing for him would be to get a deal done as early as possible during the season. Um, if their season is as cupcake as it was last year, and I know everybody was talking about Kellen Moore's new offense when you all started off 3-0 and last season, um, playing the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins. You're for 5,000 yards, so it's no, no, for, be said. He, 
He did, he did, but with an eight and eight record, what does that have to say? Honestly, like, oh yeah, for if, sure. I'm just saying, if you're not, a, if you're not making the playoffs, you shouldn't be making top quarterback money, bro. It's it's just that simple. So it definitely benefits Dak to get the deal done as early as possible. Like I said, another three and zero. I know that they were even trying to get that deal done last year when they started off three and zero pretty quick. They were like trying to get it done. It didn't happen. Um, I know Roland had a little. Roland threw a threw a number at us about the Cowboys having the most players being paid over twenty million dollars. Yeah, having- they have they have three guys that are played that are currently going to be paid over twenty million dollars. That includes Dak with the the thirty, and then as I mentioned with the the Cowboys and potentially having a good shot this year, they are very top heavy, so they have the most players in the league that are also getting paid over ten million. Um, so, I mean, it's a very, very top-heavy record, I mean, uh, roster, and when you throw in, you know, just all things considered, what they have on their team and what they just added in terms of C.D. Lamb and, and what they've done in, in the draft and whatnot, and all of all things aside, this is a team that, man, this is it, man. Like, if you don't do something good this go year in, deep in terms of, if, you, if you're not in the NFC Championship game, this year, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I know Tim Hasselback earlier shot this down a little bit because there's an article saying that the Cowboys needed to go to NFC Championship or bust. And I'm kind of on that article side. Even though we have a new coach, we still kept the same offensive coordinator. The roster is essentially the same, if not better. We're healthy this year. It needs to be NFC Championship or bust. I'm not even necessarily saying win the NFC East because I agree. Y- you can still lose the NFC East to a good Eagles team and get into the playoffs. It, you need to win two playoff games, get to the NFC Championship game, and you're solidified as a team in a roster, I think. But as far as getting the DAC deal done, I do think that if they get off to a good start, they're going to get the deal done, I think. Even if that's the right thing or not, because as Ben did mention, we did start, and I'm saying we because I'm a Cowboys fan. The Cowboys started 3-0 last year, and you know how the season ended. And if they would have paid DAC a lot of money after that 3-0 start and you see the way the season ended we'd be cat or the cowboys would be catching a lot of flack right now in For terms sure. of hey you got that deal done what what's up so it's a t- tough tricky situation i still do think the the optimist in me is saying that the deal is going to get done in the middle of the season but just based on all things that have happened and the the fact that the deal's not done yet it doesn't. It still doesn't give me a warm and fuzzy feeling. So I'm gonna say it's like a 70% chance the deal gets done in the middle of the season. But this is also a 30% chance that this turns out to be Kirk Cousins 2.0. And Kirk Cousins, and you know what happened. Kirk Cousins is not on the Redskins anymore. So that's all I'm gonna say. All right. Let's keep it I'm with not, the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, that's what Jam- I was about to get into. Jamal Adams. Uh, yep. Is trying to get to Dallas. He has a seven-team list. Uh, hey, but whoa, Dallas is at the top whoa, of his whoa, list. Whoa, 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 whoa! He's not trying to get to Dallas, Justin. There was a lot of teams on the list. Seven-team list. So I just said it. That a Dallas fan asked him, "When are you coming to Dallas?" He's not necessarily trying to get to Dallas, Justin. He's just trying to get the fuck out of New York. Well, I, I, believe, I believe the article we pulled said that he, he said, "I'm trying." Yeah, because yeah. that's what the fan asked him. He yeah. said. <laughs> And I think, as Ben said, I think you replace that that team and that question with any of the seven teams that were on his list. If it were the Ravens, the Chiefs, right. I think the Texans were on that list. I think Jamal Adams is going to say, I'm trying to get out. 
And just looking at it realistically, as I just mentioned, with the, the Cowboys being extremely top-heavy, their um, their contract situation being tied up at the top of the roster with so many players, and they, they already gave up a first-round pick to get Amari Cooper. The price on Jamal Adams to get him out of New York would be Hefty. beyond belief, and it would not benefit the Cowboys, in my opinion, to bring, over, bring him over. I think Jamal Adams top-notch player i think he has a hall of fame career trajectory in terms of the way he started his career and if he continues on that path i think he can find himself there but in terms of the cowboys getting him over in a trade i i think it's highly unrealistic but still pretty cool to see that in the video that he, he's not afraid to say that i'm trying to get the hell out of wherever i'm at right now like he has not minced his words about that he does not want to be in new york that's a fact yeah. for sure I don't think and, anybody and like, wants to be with the Jets at this point. <laughs> yeah. And, Might catch Mono. And like Roland said, he's got several teams on his list. I think if a Texans fan would have asked him, hey, man, when are you coming to Houston or are you coming to Houston? He would have said, I'm trying. As a Texans fan, I know that it's not financially possible for us. My hopes aren't too high. Um, I think the Cowboys are in the exact same situation as me. And I think Roland sees it in the exact same situation as me where it's just not possible based on the way that the structure of pay is on on our team. So I'm not getting my hopes up. It was nice to see our team on that list with all the slack that we've caught from our coach slash GM that, you know what, a player was still willing to go and put the Texans on his list. If anybody's going to trade off, Three rounds, uh, three years of first round pick for Jamal Adams. It's gonna be Bill O'Brien, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's and, not afraid to do it. He's no, not afraid and, to do it. But the thing is, I don't see him doing it. Honestly, uh, the thing, the thing for you Jamal hope? Adams. No, I, I mean, I hope, but but my my hopes aren't high, brother. And I'm so, not getting excited over this. Like it, it's, I'm being realistic. Let's get the crystal balls out. I mean, do you think? And I'll make this easy because there are seven teams on the list. Do you think Jamal Adams is in a Jets jersey or is he in another team's jersey to start the season? Jets jersey oh. to start the season, but he's gone somewhere in the mid because he's disgruntled. Yeah, I say Jets jersey to start the season. I'll say have Jets. All the leverage. Look, the, the time to trade him was the NFL draft, bro. After it got past the draft, then the Cowboys didn't have a chance. Honestly, if I was a Cowboys fan, I'd rather have Jamal Adams and CD Lamb just to be straight up. Of course, it would have That's taken fair. more than that 17th pick. It would have probably taken that 17th and pick and a, and a, or, or a first-rounder next year. But the thing is, I, I would have – especially as the Cowboys where we need secondary, we need Did defense. you just say we? We? You say we? Hey, Ben, what's up? You're part of yeah, the team. Hey, awesome, dude. Up. Ben's a Cowboys fan. Nah, hell nah. Nah, I but, see it. You just admitted because – Listen, hey, quit trying to mess up my point. But I the point you a jersey is, tonight. <sighs> Shit. Um, the point was, bro, that if if the Cowboys were going to get it done, it was going to be at the draft. It the the guy has one more year left, and then the Jets are going to pick up his fifth year option, so he's got two years left with the Jets. If they want to franchise tag him after that, that's up to them. But then he can hold out. He can actually hold out because he's not under contract anymore. So I see Jamal Adams being a Jet. All of next year. And maybe before the next draft, he'll get dealt. Okay. All right. Let's get into our breakdown this week. We're going to break down one team. And uh, 
it's the team uh, that uh, got a lot of followers who follow this team. It's the Denver Broncos, AFC yeah, West they team. Were actually, they, were the first, they, they were the first fans to start chiming in that they wanted to see their, they were. their um, team broken down uh, when we first started the season breakdowns. Easily, it was like five-plus fans that were into the, the Broncos' uh, breakdown. Very, very so, Yeah, and, and one, one guy that I got to shout out before we, we get into this, and I will give his, uh, his synopsis uh, before we even get into ours, is uh, Mondo Obregon. Uh, Mondo, he's, he's one of the, a good shout friend of the Mondo. podcast. Uh, he's uh, taken part in our MMA podcast. He's always commenting um, on our posts. Post. He's always sharing on Facebook. He's retweeting on Twitter. Um, I have to give Mondo a big shout out. So first of all, before I even get into what Mondo said about the Broncos, because he is a huge Broncos fan. Uh, guys, if you want to follow Mondo on Twitter, you can find him at Dukes15. And instead of an E, it's a 3. So it's D U K. 3S15. That's at D-U-K-3-S-15. And you can find him on Twitter. And so just to get into Mondo, before we even get into the, the Broncos, he's very optimistic. Uh, the Broncos have a season oh, yeah. of nine win total. But he thinks that they're going to end the season at 11-5. and five. He, he puts a lot of credence, and we'll get into it specifically. He puts a lot of credence into the draft that they had, which I thought was very impressive. And he puts a lot of credence into the um, off-season moves uh, that they had that included a couple of big trades and some good signings on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And we'll get into those specifics um, as we get into the breakdown. But he, he's also very, very big on Drew Locke and all the offensive weapons that they have. And he's even predicting that the Chiefs and the Broncos are going to split their regular season series and that if the Chiefs are not careful, if they're not careful the Broncos might sneak up on them and take the NFC West oh. from them. So <laughs> wow, hey. He's hey, sounds like Mondo's drunk. When did you talk to him, bro? Dude, this was at 1030 in the morning. Oh, I was at the was gym and he was texting me. He was drunk. So 11 and 5. And shout out Mondo for, again for sharing the podcast and, and always participating. Uh, big help and appreciate you as a follower and a friend. Okay, you know, just going to break down the Broncos here. Maybe Mondo's not too far off. Uh, oh, 2019 uh, record seven and nine, five and three at home, two and six away, three and three against division, and they missed the playoffs. Started 2019 season zero and four, but here's the thing: where maybe Mondo uh, might have some insight on five games decided by three points or less. Man, if those five games go their way, they're a playoff team. One game by four points, two and four in those games. The Vegas Scots they're over and under at seven and a half. This year, uh, let's talk about some additions. Uh, Melvin Gordon, running back, that's a solid, solid running back. Mm -hmm. pickup. They got uh, a two-headed monster now. Yeah, that's a, it's going to be nice seeing them. Graham Glasgow, A.J. Bouye off a of trade, Jarrell Casey, and they drafted uh, Jerry Judy. Uh, you, we all know what Jerry Judy can do. Uh, K.J. Hamler, that's another good receiver. Uh, Penn State, yep. Yeah, Michael uh, Juma, I'm going to butcher this one, Edjumide. Cornerback. Solid cornerback, yeah. McTelvin Agum, the defensive tackle. Lloyd uh, Cushenberry, Natain Mutai, the guard. Uh, some of their losses, Chris Harris Jr., that's a, that's a big loss. Emmanuel mm -hmm. Sanders threw a trade. Derek Wolf. they lose Joe Flacco, but, I mean, 
whatever. Right? <laughs> That's part of the reason why they started 0 4. So. Yeah. Uh, they lose Ronald Leary, uh, I believe, what he's an interior lineman. Uh, pretty, yes, yes. Pretty reliable. And McGovern, another and lineman. Connor as well. McGovern. Uh, so, as you can see, they added some big pieces here. Uh, the, the one that stands out the most, of course, are the two offensive weapons between Gordon and Judy. Those are big additions yeah. to the offense. Those are points on the board. Right Those there. are big moves. And then the other two that I really, really like were the trades. Uh, they got A.J. Boye from the Jaguars, and they got Jarrell Casey uh, from the Titans, both on pretty much fire sales. Beefing up they the got, defense on they and got, offense they did. They got Jarrell Casey for a seventh rounder. Jarrell Casey's a talented defensive tackle. Uh, I mean, he produced for the Titans last year. A.J. Boye, Ben knows him. I, ben, did A.J. Boye used to play for the Texans? or yeah. did? Yeah, yeah he we, played didn't, for the we didn't sign him to the big deal. He, yeah. he blew up with us. He signed with the Jags. The thing I will say about the Broncos, though, they lost Bradley Roby last year, and now they lost Chris Harris. So those were the defensive backs that were with him, the longest speedy guys, too. Um, yep. Very fast yep. guys. Derek Wolf was a big-time interior lineman for them. Of course, they still have Von Miller. Their defense did take a step back last year, I thought. Um, they weren't as dominant as they were. Of course, we all remember them from that Super Bowl against uh, Seahawks. against Cam Newton. No, no, Cam no. Newton and the Panthers. They lost oh, Panthers. Nobody yeah. remembers that one, Roland. I mean, Justin except Leo. He's the only one that remembers that. <laughs> the worst Super Bowl ever. That was yeah. man. Um, but yeah, man. So they did lose a little bit on defense. Season, I think it all hangs on the quarterback's shoulders. Let me ask you a question before we get into their season breakdown. Better season next year, Drew Locke or Stidham? Drew Locke, easy. Drew Locke. Easy. Easy. Weapons. Weapons easy. there. Weapons, and I've already seen him play five games, and they went four and one in those games, I think. He played the last five games of the season. I even thought um, Drew Locke coming out of college was better too. Out of Missouri, yeah. he looked better. But he was that, it was a big passing offense though. Like, yeah, um, I like Drew Locke. I I, I think and the, the coaching staff league, so. and and a lot of people have been raving about him this off season, uh, based on what they saw at the end of the season and and what he's done uh, thus far in the the off season. So and Drew Locke um, gets I, down I like to uh, that rap song. So. <laughs> and he doesn't even know the name of the rap song. Yeah. I thought that was funny. That I put on. I put on. All right. That's a good question, though. Stidham or, or Locke? That's something to keep track of. Just so, uh, Roland, I believe you said this was one of your nominees for best NFL offseason? Yeah, no, I, I definitely love everything that the team did. I, I think you have to look at what they did in the draft first as far as how they addressed their clear needs on offense. They obviously got rid of Emmanuel Sanders uh, and turned that into a third and a fourth round pick. Um, but they, they obviously saw that they lost Emmanuel Sanders Philip Lindsay was probably their best offensive weapon last year. Uh, Cortland Sutton and Noah Fant aren't ready to carry the offense, so they went and got got them some help. They drafted KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy, as Justin said, Bama stud. KJ Hamler is a do-it-all receiver. He's going to be your punt and kick returner also. Uh, going to take some jet sweeps for you also in that offense. He's a speedster, do-it-all. And then, I mean, they addressed their losses uh, on the offensive uh, offensive line, they address the, their cornerback and their secondary situation, um, and then they add Melvin Gordon. So I just think this is a team that looked at the landscape of their division, saw that they had to get competitive on offense to even have a chance, 
and they did what they needed to do to get there. So, yeah, I, I give them an A-plus on, on their off-season grade. I uh, forgot they had Noah Font, so you uh, reminded me. Uh, that's a good They drafted end. him last year, yeah. yeah. But when they obviously needed them. more weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right, let's, let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, first game is a Monday night game for them against the Titans. That's prime time. I believe that's the second Monday night game, right? There's two Monday night games that week. Yeah, they're the nightcap. So they're the second of the of the two. And yeah. Titans I'm defense. A, yeah. It's a it's a loss. Uh, I think the Titans and Mike Vrabel. If you give them time to prepare, it's the first game of the season. Uh, it's a big game. We saw the Titans play good in pretty big games last year in the playoffs. Uh, I. I think that they're going to establish Derrick Henry. They're going to control time of possession. And give me the Titans 20 to 10. This is, uh, Ben, I just didn't get to tell you, this is a home game for the Broncos. Yeah, okay. with no yeah. fans. I'm going to I'm gonna take Broncos um, at home to open the game up, or open the season up with a victory on Monday night. Um, high altitude. I, I don't think the Titans offense is going to offer them too much trouble. I, th- I think we all know what it is when you go in. Uh, and you play against the Titans, it's going to be a heavy dosage of Derrick Henry, and I think the the Broncos are going to be able to contain him, and I think they're going to be able to eke out like a 17-13 to 13 or 17-10 to 10 victory. So give me the Broncos. Under City, that game. Uh, I'll take the Titans. I think the defense is going to and the Derrick Henry getting that, uh, you know, time of possession is going to help. I know and it's, a fresh, fresh Derrick Henry. I know it's going to be an elevation. That's going to hurt a little bit. But uh, like Ben said, Mike Vrabel with the preparedness, it's going to be uh, the Titans getting this one. So that's a loss for the Broncos week one for me. Going into week two, uh, at Steelers, 12 o'clock game, CBS. Uh, I'm giving them a loss just because I'm really high on the Steelers this year. And I like that Steelers defense. Um, it's going to be on the road. I think this is going to be the first time in this this season that we're going to see Drew Locke struggle a little bit because the Steelers do have a very good secondary. They're going to force him uh, to to show his his true colors here, and I don't think he's going to be ready for it. So I'm going Steelers. Yeah, same. I think that defense is going to overwhelm him, give him some exotic looks and exotic, exotic. You like that word, Joe? Exotic. Joe exotic. <laughs> <laughs> Just to keep it going, it's going to be a loss here too for me. Going too, bro, Mondo. I don't know what the hell Mondo was thinking, man. These dudes are going to lose eleven games. Well, we'll <laughs> there's a there's a portion of the schedule that gets a little easier. Ah, one and one, one, and one so for me. One and one for me. That's a loss for me at week two. Week three, we got the Bucks, and that's what a loss got, for me. I mean, you got a loss. Expect Brady to be rolling by then. I mean, if we really think that Drew Locke is going to beat Tom Brady, there's something wrong with us. So it, Stop the it, podcast easy, now. <laughs> easy, easy, Bucks. Easy, Bucks. Yeah, I oh. think it's going to be a close game just because the, the Broncos, they do have a pretty solid defense. And the the, Bronc- the Buccaneers have an aerial attack. So I, I think it's going to be a tough matchup for the Bucks, but... Still give me Tom Brady at home, uh, 3.25 p.m. Uh, I'll take that all day, every For day. Sure. All right. Uh, ben, you said lost two? Yep, 0-3. Okay. I have about week, one and two. Week four, here's where I believe we see a little streak. We got them at the Jets, 7.20 on NFL Network. 
Oh, that's a dub. That's going to be a Thursday night game, I believe. Mm-hmm. Short Thursday week, night but I'm, I'm going to give the Broncos a dub here against the Jets. I think uh, Sam Darnold is going to be on the verge of getting replaced here, and uh, we'll see who's that backup at, over there at this point. Oh, wow. wow that's, a, that's a bold prediction. Because I don't even know the, the backup's name, Justin. Yeah, I, I, I think Sam Darnold, I think he's going to be struggling. Um, I do favor... Uh, I do favor the Broncos in this situation, even though it's on the road and it's a Thursday night, and they'd potentially be coming off of consecutive victories in my scenario against the Steelers and the Bucks. Uh, so you're looking at losing three games in a row. Um, I think their defense here is gonna. This is gonna be an ugly game. It's gonna be one of the more boring games of the of the Thursday night slate. Yep. Uh, I have a a 14 to to seven or 14 to three. Uh, Broncos victory here. So let me get them to 500, two and two. Yeah, I, I think I think it's a tricky spot just because it's away team on yeah. the road on a Thursday. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, I'm not saying that Sam Darnold's going to be fighting for his job then, but I don't like Sam Darnold either. So I'm going to go ahead and give the Broncos their first win of the season here on the road against the Jets. Yeah, I'm one and three here. Uh, this is our first win for me. For uh, sure. Week five uh, at the Patriots. Again, I don't expect a lot out of Stidham. I know we said Drew Locke or Stidham. I said Drew Locke. Give me a dub for the Broncos uh, putting them at two and three for me. Man, give me the Patriots here. It's on the road. I, I trust Bill Pelichick at home. I think he's going to have his team despite the fact that they're going with Jarrett Stidham. I think he's the best coach in the history of the NFL, and he's going to have his guys ready to go. Uh, regardless, the AFC East is going to be a dogfight. I think the the Patriots will be in the fight. I don't think they are going to end up winning it, but they'll be there. And I think there's going to be a victory for the Patriots at home. So give me the Pats, regardless of who their quarterback is. I agree. I think if the Patriots want any chance of winning their division, I think this is a game they got to have, especially at home, like Roland said. Uh, Stidham against Locke. I know both of y'all took Locke. I honestly think it's a toss-up just based off of who he has coaching for him. True, I think Josh that McDaniels, that gives, yeah. And not even Josh McDaniels, but Bill Belichick. I mean, both of those guys against whoever the hell the Broncos have. Um, I think it gives him the edge and back-to-back road games. Yeah, I know they will be. Look. I know they will be a little bit rested because the week prior they play on Thursday night, but uh, give me the Patriots in this one. All right. Uh, week six, moving on. To the Dolphins, it's a home game. It's on CBS, 3 o'clock game. Give me another dub for the Broncos here. And that puts them at 500 for me. Yeah, give me the Broncos here. Uh, if this game was in uh, Miami, a west uh, West Coast traveling to the East Coast and getting down there in the, the humidity of uh, Miami, I would maybe look the other way. But since uh, the Dolphins are going to be the ones making this trip, uh, give me the give me the Broncos here, and let me get them up to five hundred three and three. Yeah, I got the Broncos, but I got them at two and four after this game. So, give me the Broncos against the Dolphins. All right, week seven versus the defending champs, Chiefs. This is a home game. It's a three o'clock game, and this is a loss. I don't think you're getting above Mahomes and his guys. Right. Pretty simple, man. Two and five, like. Y'all ain't fucking with Mahomes and the Chiefs. That's their division. So two and five for me. I got an L for the Broncos. I think this will be a close game. Again, I I do like the Broncos' defense uh, this year, and I do think their offense is going to take a little bit of a step up. 
and I'm still going to give them a loss. I, I do think they're going to compete with the Chiefs this year. I, I think they'll have some close games, but I don't think they're yet on that level, and I don't think that the defense is strong enough or um, premier enough. Like I'm not ready to call them the number one defense in the league by any means, but I do think they're a top half of the league uh, defense. Uh, so it'll keep them in a lot of games, but it's not going to win them the game against the Chiefs. So yeah, give me the Chiefs. Uh, three and what was it? Three and four going into the bye week. Yeah. So week eight uh, bye week. Uh, week nine we move over to the Falcons. It's a road game. It's a twelve o'clock game, and that's a win for me. Uh, I expect the Broncos to go four and four here. Back at yeah, five hundred. Uh, give me the Broncos here. Um, I, I think the the Falcons tend to to struggle with teams that to that like to punch them in the mouth, and I, I'm not very very confident in Matt Ryan going into this year. So just yeah, give me give me the Broncos. I, I think their defense is going to help out, and Drew Locke's going to make some plays with those weapons. I agree. I think it's a game where we see actually see the Broncos as underdogs in this game due to it being on the road. Um, but I like their physical defense. I like them to stop Julio Jones. I like them to get in Matt Ryan's face. Matt Ryan isn't very mobile, so I see Von Miller on his back often in this game. And give me the Broncos to beat the Falcons. All right, going into Week Ten, we got a division game with the Raiders. Three o'clock game. It's, it's a CBS game. The Death uh, Star. I believe they're going to get a dub here at the Death Star. Yeah. 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 Uh, give me the Broncos here. I, I like them against the Raiders. I know the Raiders. They're also another team that. Added a lot of speed uh, throughout the draft. They drafted like three receivers back-to-back-to-back or something like that. Uh, So the more playmakers, they have a talented uh, signal caller in in Derek Carr. But uh, give me the Broncos here, man. I I like that defense, and I think their offense is going to be competitive enough to win them some games. So give me the Broncos, five and four. Yeah, I got them splitting with the Raiders, and this one is in Las Vegas, so I'm just going to go with the Raiders on this one. Okay. Week 11, uh, we got them uh, against the Chargers. It's a home game, 3 o'clock game at CBS. I'm going to give them another W here. Uh, it's a division game, but I think they get this one. Yeah, give them a W against the Chargers. Uh, everything stays the way that it is right now with uh, who they have at quarterback and uh, the way that their roster is currently constructed. I know the Chargers also have a pretty decent defense, and they have some weapons on offense as well. But uh, this will be Melvin Gordon's first game against his former team. Uh, since being um, signed by the the Broncos, so uh, give me the Broncos here, and, and I think Melvin Gordon's going to have two touchdowns. Yeah, heavy doses of Melvin Gordon, and I agree. I got the Broncos winning this one. I don't believe in the Chargers quarterbacks at all, man. I think the Chargers will be picking in the top five of next year's draft again. I I saw this week, Ben, that uh, somebody was trying to convince you that the Chargers quarterback was. Uh... Oh, that option. I don't know who it was. How did my that buddy end up jo- going? My buddy Joby. Well, he got tested for COVID. That's how that shit ended up. <laughs> <laughs> and let's keep the HIPAA stuff. Yeah, HIPAA, bro. HIPAA. We learned last week with Zeke. Calm no, but down. did he have? Did he have any points? Anything that you would mention as far no, as? He, I mean, he thought he thought Tyrod Taylor was a viable option, but nobody in their goddamn mind thinks that Tyrod Taylor is a viable option except for. My camarada. Okay. So we're just gonna disregard that. No, I just, I just saw. I didn't get to explore the the, the text. Thread. Hey, good thing you didn't, cuz. Good thing you didn't. All right, I'll take your word, man. <laughs> <laughs> Week uh, twelve, man. Tough game. It's gonna be against the Saints on Fox. Three o'clock game. 
Uh, the only thing it, going for the Broncos here is it's a home game, but it's going to be a loss. Saints are going to expose them with the dink and dunk. It's going to be a, a Saints here. I agree. And key word, dink and dunk, because Drew Brees can't push the ball downfield anymore. Uh, give me the Saints again. Yeah, give me the Saints here. The only thing that gives me a little pause is that this door is going to be uh, this door. This game is going to be taking place outdoors, away from the dome in the elements. That we all know the Saints tend to struggle a little bit there, especially Drew Brees uh, yep. at his advanced age and uh, playing outdoors does not favor him. Uh, but I think this, the Saints are going to have enough offense to get through, and their defense should come through and, and give uh, Drew Lock enough trouble to secure the W. That's a good point, too, because Drew Brees really doesn't do that well outdoors, man. So it, it yeah. could be closer than expected, but I still think that Saints are just built better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, next uh, game. Again, you're going at the Super Bowl champs' house this time. You're at the Chiefs. You're at a night game. It's Sunday night primetime. This is going to be the L for the me. L for love. It's a hell, baby. It's six and six. I got him at 500 at this point. Was that L for love? Ben? Yeah, everybody love everybody, Ben. Nah, man. I I know Mondo thought that they were going to split with the Chiefs in his little breakdown that he sent us, but uh, I'm going to have to disagree with him, and I'm, I'm going to go the Chiefs here. I think the Chiefs are going to sweep the, the season series uh, between uh, the Chiefs and the Broncos, and the Broncos are just a little step below being on their playing field. They, they need to make a couple of more moves to get there. Agreed. Right, Ben, that, that was your L, right? That's, oh, you're going to yeah. speak on that I, one. I, no, oh, I thought made oh, it very clear. That was an L for love. I, I just for the, for the audio listeners, right I just wanted Ben to, to say Hopefully everybody's it. watching the YouTube for those signals that Ben's throwing out right yeah. now. And for the audio listeners, Ben said uh, loss for them. And I'm not throwing up bloods. It's just an L, baby. Okay. <laughs> you're crazy. Week 14. <laughs> Uh, at Panthers, man, 12 o'clock game. Man, this is a iffy 50-50 game for me. Um, just to be conservative, I'm going to give them an L, though. Yeah. Um, I, go ahead, I, I agree, bro. I mean, I think that this is going to be a very tightly lined game. Um, then again, we don't know where both of those teams are going to be at that point in the season with only two games left after this. But... I, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a better quarterback than Drew Locke. I think Christian McCaffrey is a better running back than Melvin Gordon and Christian Lindsay, uh, Christian Lindsay, but uh, Philip Lindsay. But I'm am I'm, I'm just gonna go with the Panthers here. Uh, give me the give me the the Broncos here, and honestly, I just think it's it doesn't even come down for me to who's the better quarterback. I just think the Broncos have more weapons. A flat out than the Panthers do. I mean, you're going to have to throw the ball and hand the ball off to McCaffrey every single time. This is going to be week 14, so I expect there to be a little wear and tear on Christian McCaffrey by this time period. And I mean, again, who else are they throwing to? Is Steve Smith still their receiver? I, I don't think they have Kelvin Benjamin. I don't. I can't name one receiver for the Panthers right now Moore? off the top of my head. Moore? Or DJ Moore. DJ Moore, I'm sorry. Hey, and Curtis Samuel. DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel, I'm sorry to disrespect. I was blanking out. I've had a little bit to drink. Those are two very decent receivers. No disrespect. I but I like the Broncos. Take a step up. I, I, do. I, like, I like the Broncos' weapons, and I apologize to DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel because I do think you guys are, are good receivers for sure. Yeah, DJ um, but, and uh, Curtis, y'all listening, we're sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey. 
Even but, though Christian McCaffrey's the best receiver on your team, uh, DJ and Curtis, it's, it's all good. But give me the Broncos here. I think they have uh, more weapons. I, I like Jerry Judy. He's a rookie of the year candidate for me in the AFC. Uh, so give me the Broncos here. All right. Uh, week 15. Week 15. A flex game, I believe. It's uh, versus nice. the Bills. Nice. Uh, time is not to be decided yet. Uh, station has not been decided uh, but we got the Bills. It's a home game for the Broncos, and I think this is a loss, giving me them yeah, at this, six and eight. I think whoever, I think whoever scores a touchdown first wins, bro. And it, complete toss up, honestly, complete toss up. I don't expect uh, Josh Allen to do much against his defense as far as passing wise. Um, the game is in Denver. In Denver, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to give it to Denver because I've been an asshole to them for most of this breakdown. So I'm going to go with Denver, but complete coin flip game. Yeah, I think this game's a coin flip. Um, I think uh, I forgot what podcast it was um, that we did a season schedule breakdown that I took the bills just off the credence of how much I, I love their their defense. It's one of my favorite defenses in the league. It, it has been for a while. Um, if this game was taking place in Buffalo... I wouldn't even blink. I would take Buffalo in a heartbeat. I think that's a horrible situation for Julak to walk into in December, Sunday yeah. flex game, bad look. Um, but it's in Denver. I do think it's more of a toss-up game. Um, and, I, man, I hate to be super optimistic, but give me the Broncos here. I, I think it's a toss-up. They're going to be at home. And how, much, how much different do you think the weather will be, though, from Buffalo to Denver? Well, I'm not even talking about the weather. I'm talking about maybe at this point in time there will be some fans. The bu- Buffalo does have a very, very good and historical home field advantage. They throw dildos on the field. I mean, how can you get over that? That's that's crazy stuff. They do. That's happened. I'm not just saying that. I this thought you were going to bring up the tables. I know. No, and they, they throw their babies through tables. I mean, they, they do all kinds of crazy shit, man. I mean, it's a historical fan base. It's Bill's Mafia for a reason. So, yeah, if it was taking place in Buffalo, not even batting an eye. The Broncos yeah. are losing 45-0. to zero, Or maybe not. They're 24-0. to But at, ho- at home, it's a 10-3 it's a to three yeah. victory for the yeah. Broncos. Drew Luck is lucky there won't be any dildos being thrown at him. Did you just call him Drew Luck? Drew, no, he Lock. Drew Lock. He said Drew Luck. Yeah. No, he said Luck. No. No, he said Drew Luck will be lucky that there's no... Hey. Uh, no, no, but he said Luck, not Lock. He's thinking Drew Andrew Lock. Luck. He's out Look, of the view. No, you could run it back, bro. You could run it back later. You're wrong, Justin. I'm going to run it back, and I'll show you. All right, week 7, 16. Oh, who's messing up now? The Chargers. At the Chargers. uh, This is a dub for the Broncos. Uh, They're going to get the Chargers here. Go 7 and 8 for me here. I think this is a little trap game for them. I think they're going to be thinking about the playoffs. They're going to be thinking about trying to to solidify their their spot and looking forward to the last game of the season, kind of. So I'm going to give them a loss here. I, I think it's going to be a little tricky. The Chargers, they have a good defense. They have weapons. Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, uh, Keenan Allen, who was on a lot of guys' top 10. Uh, I don't think we mentioned Keenan Allen was on. got some respect from people on their top 10 receiver list. So... Uh, give me the Chargers to get the split with the Broncos here. Yeah, I think the Chargers have weapons, but they just don't have anybody to get the ball to those weapons. Fair enough. So I think that this is the one team that the Broncos do sweep in the division. And I got the Broncos winning this game as well. 
All right, week 17, last game of the season for the uh, Broncos here, and it's against the Raiders. Yeah. And I'm going to give them a W here, and they're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. I'm at 500. I got I got them with the dub here. I had them splitting with the Raiders, and I had them losing at, in Las Vegas and winning at home, so I got a W for them here. What's your season record? I'm going to do the math as you give okay. your pick. Okay, so um, I actually think they're going to sweep the Raiders here. I, I, don't, um, I don't have too much confidence in the Raiders going into this year, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I don't think they've answered that. Uh, question of giving up Khalil Mack, um, although two years ago when uh, John Gruden um, entered the building and traded him off to the Bears. Um, so I'm going to go with the, the Broncos here, and I'm going to have them ending uh, my season breakdown at 9-7, and seven, but I can see them finishing at 8-8 eight and eight as well, because there's a, a toss-up game or two. Um, in yeah, I got, I got them at 7-9, and nine, and I, not that I would recommend an under or an overplay, but I just got him at 7-9. I think they're pretty unknown, and I think it's just going to come down to what we see from Drew Locke. I, I, yeah, and Ben, I, I'm glad you brought the, the word unknown up. There's a lot of unknown commodities with the, the Broncos as far as their new additions. How are they going to fix fit with the, the Broncos? On paper, as I said, it's a great offseason. They look good um, on the offseason, but... They still need to go out and perform on the field. So, um, for me at least, I just need to see these guys that they added perform. And that comes down to the draft. And as Ben said, it also comes down to Drew Locke. He needs to perform. I have them at a pretty optimistic 9-7. and seven. I mean, I gave them a sweep over the Raiders. Um, and I have them uh, pulling off a victory against the Panthers and the Bills which I think is a, is a toss-up game um, in both uh, scenarios, being the Panthers and the Bills. So um, I don't think this is an um, over-under candidate that we will be um, possibly recommending for the following or, or for the We the, uh, Talking About Sports uh, podcast to take as a consensus just because I think I had them at 9-7, and seven, and I said that was pretty optimistic. Ben was on the conservative side at 7-9, and nine, and Justin had him at 8-8. Eight and eight. So the key word that we brought up with the last season breakdown is variance. You don't like there to be too much variance in terms of, hey, I have a, a number that's set at 7. What, how, much, how crazy or what scenario takes me to 7 or past that? And here we have a number that's at 7.5. And, and there's some scenarios that you can see yourself sitting on the outside looking in with a 7-9 and nine record as Ben um, broke down his season schedule for the Broncos. So this isn't a bet for me. I'm going to pass respectfully, but I do think the Broncos are a wild card contender. I, I don't think that's crazy. I think they're a wild card contender, especially now that they've added an extra slot to the playoff picture. Yeah, too much variance, like you said, Roland. Uh, you had given some games losses where we gave dubs, and, and there's just too much going on for this to be a play or a recommendation to make a play on. Um, and I was trying to be conservative, and, I, and they're at eight and eight for me. So, which would still cash the bet, but, yeah, but I mean, even then, there's some toss-ups in there. Yeah, but I mean, you, you kind of want the floor to be over the number that you exactly. Want. Like as exactly. far as as yeah. a consensus of us on the podcast, I had seven and nine. Justin had eight and eight. Uh, Roland had nine and seven. 
and Mondo was out <laughs> of eleven and five record. Props so, to Mondo though; he put it all out there, and hey, that's that's what we're all here for. He did yeah. give us a descriptive breakdown now, whether it comes true or not. But he did give us reasoning behind his eleven and five record. Yeah. And, you know, and full disclosure, he is a fan of the Broncos, so uh, take that however you may. But like like they said, the guys. You kind of just want the floor to be over the number that it that is set at, and you kind of all want to be on the same channel. Like you don't want somebody under, somebody right on the mark, somebody a little bit over. So if this number was at seven. This might be a good bet because our yeah, floor was exactly, at seven. You could push yeah, yeah. seven and a half. Mm. Yeah, and I think had we seen a full season of Drew Locke, we would feel a lot more comfortable. Absolutely. I know. You- you said he was four and one, but it, I mean it's only five games. It's not even half the season, and it was towards the end of the season when they were out of playoff contention. So I think this is a very telling year for the Broncos, big year for the Broncos. Whether Drew Locke is going to be their guy going forward or not, we've seen them trying a lot of different guys from Bo- Brock Osweiler to Paxton Lynch uh, after Peyton Manning Black was on. there. So mm-hmm. Blackwell, yeah. we'll see. I mean, um, John Elway kind of has. I think he has a, a grip on what he wants and uh, what he thinks the team needs. So I'm interested to see a, a full season of Drew Locke. Same here. Same. And definitely going to be a lot more interesting to watch. Um, that, that, they were one of the teams for me that whenever they would come on red zone last year, I would just flip the channel or I would uh, go to the restroom or do something. Cause there really wasn't much to watch on the Broncos offense last year, other than Philip Lindsay or the occasional jump ball to, to Cortland Sutton or something. So uh, definitely a lot more to look forward to for um, ca- fan, casual fans of the Broncos like myself and, and diehard fans of the Broncos like Mondo. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our NFL breakdown this week and our NFL quick hitters and NFL news. Uh, guys, anything else you want to plug before we uh, end it tonight? No. Um, I, I guess really uh, Ben mentioned it earlier. Uh, I do want to give another shout out again to, to Ron and his dad and his family's podcast, uh, the PVT uh, podcast uh, from the Valley, this professional Valley talk. I know they do live YouTube. Poodle Valley talk. Uh, yes. And they, they have a nice little forum where they all just casually go through the topics and, and talk about one another and, and give their opinions on there and go through different topics. I know Justin mentioned they had um, some Tejano legends, or they usually have Tejano legends on their uh, their broadcast for interviews. Uh, so yeah, just shout out to Ron. I mean, that's not something that you had to do, but you uh, you made sure to plug us, and um, I really appreciate that. And thank you to everybody that shares and retweets and and everything and comments on uh, the Facebook posts. Much appreciated. I, I love it. Yeah, that's a really good podcast. They do a live podcast over the weekends. But um, his dad actually uh, being in the music business host to Hano Legends for the most part. And some of the names he's had on the podcast, man, you just, and the insight he gets, the questions he asks, if, if you're a Tahano fan, I know maybe you're not so much our age group, but the elders, you know, who grew up with the Tahano, man, it's, it's, it's cool to hear about the music industry and what's behind it. And his dad actually, uh, being in the music uh, industry, has the knowledge, man. He, he knows the numbers of who made what and, it's I, I I enjoy watching that podcast when he comes out with it. So I was He's a got, fan for the most his, part. His pops has interviews dating back to Selena, man. Like oh, he, yeah. he interviewed Selena in her trailer. So he has footage of him doing it too, man. It's cool. Yeah. Um definitely a, a legend in the game. And I mean we appreciate the shout out on their on their podcast. And Absolutely. we're gonna be having Ron on here 
um, soon, uh, whether it's for a UFC or for maybe our Cowboys breakdown that we haven't gotten to yet. We're saving the best for last. Ron has strong opinions, and and we'll definitely have him on here, man. And and we'll have him on here after he's warmed up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, that's uh, episode number 10. Uh, Thank everybody uh, who's been part of the podcast, who's listened in, who's shared, who's commented. Uh, y'all keep us going, and uh, we appreciate everybody that's been a part of this. Uh, a pr- big uh, appreciation to you, Roland, and you, Ben, uh, for you know putting up with me every week and everything that we do here, man. I appreciate it's y'all. Tough, bro. I ain't gonna lie, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, Some, somebody's uh, yeah. got to do it. Yeah, someone's got to do it. And I, I'm glad to see y'all, man. <laughs> anything else you want to plug? Anything? Uh, your Instagrams, your socials, anything y'all need to talk about? Uh, no, nah, I'm good, man. Honestly, just uh, look out for the podcast. Uh, we started dropping them in segments. Uh, the the little YouTube clips come out on Facebook. Uh, Justin's been really good about that. And uh, keep on looking out for the Spotify, the Apple link, uh, the it. Apple Music links and all that. And, and we're going to keep it going, man. Uh, let's, let's take this to episode 100. Let's get to triple yeah. digits. Oh, all right, yeah. let's go. Yeah, any suggestions? Also, we're open. Like we said, we recently started dropping... Uh, the podcast and segments just due to feedback that people had been giving us or us just seeing that people weren't hanging out for a whole two, three hours. So in segments, hey, you might listen to this segment, uh, whether it's 45 minutes to an hour's worth on Wednesday, the next segment on Thursday, whatever it may be, man. Uh, We appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, We appreciate everybody that listens, all the feedback, everybody who is participating in our MMA contest. I know the standings are getting a little bit closer. It's never too late to join. Um, But, yeah, we're about to get out of here, get on some 2K. All right. Take it easy. I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Not a game. Not a game. Slap that place you score 30. We talking about sports. I mean, what are we even talking about, man? We talking about sports here.